WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 361. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 572 and the Renaissance Hotel in Cleveland, Ohio. Today's show was recorded on the 6th of February, 2019. In today's episode, the wreckage of a Piper Malibu is found in the English Channel. A drunk passenger ordered to pay WestJet Airlines more than $21,000 for fuel reimbursement. More news, your feedback, and no plane tale this week, but an interview entitled The Hardest Job in the Air Force. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 361 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer your feedback each and every week. And joining me from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, she's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Good to see you. Um, it's my noisy lakeside studio, apparently, today. Um, it's a beautiful day here in South Carolina, so the windows are open to let some fresh air in. So if you're listening to the show today and hear some birds chirping in the background and other such wildlife, it's my fault. Uh, we like wildlife here at the APG. So welcome. And also joining us from across the pond in his recording studio in the English countryside, Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, only two A's that time. Current captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, Jeff. Uh, great to be back on the show again. Not too sure about my internet this week. Just have to see how that goes. Anyway, got lots to say. Going to be a good show, I'm sure. Okay, you're all scapulated. Let's uh, hope it all evens out. And also joining us from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I I realize that I'm on the wrong show this evening, so I'm going to have to leave because we're going to be a sports show tonight, right? No, no, it isn't, but it's going to be a great show. I think you are on the wrong show. So, hey, it was a good seeing see you, Dana. Guys. Have a great show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to see you. I have a feeling we will talk a little bit about a, a sporting event. We will, indeed. Uh, at, Very little. At least I'll once or it, twice. I'll keep it to a minimum, though, I promise. Well, I mean, what's, you know, really what there, what, what is there to say other than the complete dominance of the New England Patriots at the Super Bowl? Let's go ahead and talk about it. It wasn't a complete dominance, actually, but what it was was a fantastic game, even though there are a lot of naysayers out there, because what it was is a great chess game of great coaching between two teams that performed 
not, I wouldn't say flawlessly, but very well defensively. So those people out there that wanted to see a high scoring game like there was last year, uh, back and forth to both end zones and everybody's, you know, throwing hundreds of touchdowns and running lots of yards. It was kind of a slow game, kind of like watching, I would have to say like football for the rest of the world, soccer, uh, where it's a low scoring game, but it was a defensively, uh, defense game that was uh, well executed by both sides. So I enjoyed that part of it. But yes, I did get to go. I'm so excited. Yeah. So you, uh, we talked about that last week that you were able to snag a couple of tickets and uh, you made it uh, to the game itself. So what was it like uh, being at a Super Bowl? Well, first off, those that can't see it, I have a picture of the catalog here, uh, Super Bowl catalog, which cost me uh, only $20. Uh, it's the entire magazine. What was it like? Um, you know, I have really one word to describe it. Euphoric. It was really just an amazing experience. The whole weekend, the atmosphere, the energy, uh, the amount of people that came down from, uh, the New England area or, and, or New England fans. Um, it was just, uh, from what I heard, as a matter of fact, today, over 1 million people showed up for the parade yesterday in Boston, which just is a testament how popular the team is, especially back home. But being at Super Bowl, uh, nothing like it. It uh, was just amazing to sit there in the energy that was in the stadium um, to see two great teams going at it, the two two best teams in the NFL, apparently, uh, although we do have some controversy out there as to a few missed calls and or Things that happened the week, uh, two weeks prior. Uh, in the end, it's uh, the two teams that made it to the finals. And I know a lot of people are sick and tired hearing about the Patriots that live here in the United States. Um, but it truly was a blessing to see uh, Tom Brady not playing his best game, uh, certainly. But I think some of that had to do with the fact that the defense on uh, the Rams' part was so so uh, well executed um and uh, uh see likely uh, some of these people you're not going to know but julian edelman he played a fantastic game he won the mvp for for the team he was uh, uh, uh he's one of our wide receivers and then uh probably or maybe uh, possibly the last uh, game to see rob gronkowski which is through uh he's our tight end that was uh, very famous uh, for making a lot of great uh, and tough catches and a lot of great runs throughout the years. So he's been around with us for a long time. So it might have been his last game. So just to to be there to witness that all in person um, was was just amazing. I've been watching the Super Bowl back on my TV. Uh, I recorded the game and and saw you know one of the most famous things the Super Bowl is known for is their commercials. And I have to admit that the commercials. Uh, we're not very good this year, um, other than the one commercial they have for the NFL. So f- as far as Nick s- watching the Super Soup Bowl that he did, uh, which we'll talk about I'm sure in a few minutes, uh, wasn't overly exciting and, and too entertaining for a lot of the uh, folks because it wasn't a shootout. But for f- true fans like myself, it was, uh, you know, the game was really close for most of the game, so it easily could have gone to either team and fully expected the uh, the um, second half to be a, a blowout, but it didn't. So great, great experience. So uh, apparently the uh, New England fans are very um, energetic at the uh, 
Super Bowl itself. I was uh, on the waiting for the train and riding on the train, talking with a couple of fans that had come out from Los Angeles, and he said they were practically accosted by New England fans and like getting in their face. Oh, we're gonna kill you! <laughs> like she, I said, I don't think they're all like that, but probably most. No. <laughs> No, we're not that bad. Yeah, the, so she, but, they weren't impressed at all. But you know what I think? The reason the uh, Patriots won this game is because of karma. And not good karma for the Pats, but bad karma for the Los Angeles Rams because of the game against the Saints. It was just it wasn't going to happen for them. Could, could be. You sure? I just thought the Rams fell asleep and the Patriots must have drunk more coffee or something. No, it's it's it, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, you could say that, I guess, Nick, but it was just a very, it was a great, a, a very good executed uh, defensive game. So I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot more because this this is an aviation podcast, so I'm not going to draw on about it. Uh, you know, the the bit, the, the I think the the most rewarding thing for me, other than obviously being at the Super Bowl at the end of the Super Bowl, was watching the. Uh, president of the league have to present the uh new england patriots uh, bought robert Kraft the trophy and the entire stadium was booing so loud when he was making his uh his announcement because he is probably one of the most disliked people in patriots nation um so when when he was uh, roger goodell was making that presentation nobody could hear him and then uh it, it to just to see there see that be there witness it it just that was that was amazing to me so enough I'm gonna oh. stop because I could go I truly could take up this whole entire show well, let's don't do it. that dude I'm no, not dude. going to I'm gonna okay. stop I did fly last week uh, flew six straight days it turned out to be relatively uneventful and uh, had a great well you'll talk about that too Jeff so I'm stopping okay okay well um. Hmm. Nick, what did you think of the soup or bowl? <laughs> I thought it was uh, half empty, or perhaps it was half full. I'm not sure. Um, uh, actually, uh, I've, I used to watch a lot of uh, American football uh, when it used to be televised regularly, and uh, I got to know enough about the game so I can follow a match without uh, really understanding exactly what's going on, but most of it. And uh, it was great. But I'll tell the truth that because there wasn't a great deal happening in the first three quarters, uh, I was chatting away to uh, a couple of listeners, three in fact, because uh, we were having a little meetup in a bar not far from the hotel because I'd flown over to New York. And uh, they, we had Tanya, the lovely Tanya, and Philip was there, uh, her other half, and uh, for a little while, and then he uh, had to drift off. But uh, Scott organized it, and, and um, also Ryan pitched up, uh, who uh, – and um, – uh, well, actually, no, sorry, Ryan didn't, but Dave did. He was an unexpected uh, uh, guy there. He's a uh, fellow A330 first officer, but uh, one from across your side of the ocean. And I've got a little um, audio from that, if it's, uh, if it's around. Let's play that right now, shall we? Well, hi there, uh, Jeff. It's uh, Captain Nick here. And uh, we're in the bar in... Uh, Oh, Port Authority. No, that's not right. The Beer Authority in New York. 
and we're in the middle of uh, the match here. We're staring intently at the television, hoping we will see Dana. But despite his magnificent size, we've not been able to spot him in the crowd yet. However, we will keep looking. Anyway, we're having a great night. I've got Tanya here. Tanya, say hello to the APG crew. APG crew and APG wonderful listeners, just wanted to say hi. I am feeling very, very fortunate because somehow I'm able to attend a lot of these meetups and it's fantastic. But just been having a nice conversation with the wonderful Captain Nick and making the acquaintance of Scott and Dave, who are just lovely, and uh, my man Philip, who sadly had to go, but he sends his regards to all of the APGers. And this is just a wonderful time. You know, we're watching the Super Bowl. We're having a little, you know, a few beverages and a good chat. And this is fantastic. The adult beverages help. Now, I've got two uh, guys here who I haven't met before. Now, they're brilliant because uh, they both are pilots. They're both airline pilots. Uh, and uh, certainly Dave flies one of the nicest airplanes that he's going. Dave, introduce yourself and tell us what you get up to. Hey, this is Dave. I'm a 330 FO for uh, Acme. I'm in the middle of a six-day trip here in New York, just enjoying some uh, good conversation, pretty good beer, and uh, watching some football. And uh, just like to say, go Rams. Sorry, Dana. <laughs> You're going to make him cry. Uh, what do you predict to be the result of tonight's match? Well, sadly, I think that the Patriots will win, but I'm still holding out some hope for the Rams. I'd like to see the underdogs win tonight. Now, it's unusual for me to meet an American pilot who is such an avid Airbus fan. It, that's true, yeah? It is true. It's the only uh, big airliner that I've flown is the Airbus, the 320 and the 330. So I can't uh, say that I have a real uh, great view of them, but I, I really do enjoy the Airbus, and it's so far the favorite airplane that I've flown. So I love it. You know, you're not allowed to say things like that. You're not allowed to put a caveat on it. Either you love it or hate it. It's like Marmite. You love it or hate it. Anyway, it's great to see you. Thank you very much indeed for coming over. And you're off to Paris tomorrow, is that right? Yes, off to Paris tomorrow and then uh, back to Detroit where I'm based uh, on Wednesday, which is about three days from right now. So looking forward to getting home, but also looking forward to seeing Paris again. Brilliant. Well, I wish you a very safe flight. Now, here's the man that set this meetup up. This is Scott. And uh, he's got a wee story to tell because he is one of those lucky chaps that has just completed all his training and he's now flying on the line and like a real pilot, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I just finished up with IOE after going through um, the extensive training required of any airline pilot in the United States. And it's nice to just relax and do my job and fly the airplane and go on different routes and I'm having a great time. It's great not to be under the watchful eye of those training pilots anymore. Yeah, a little bit. But I will say it is nice knowing that should the absolute worst happen, I've already been through the worst in training and I feel pretty confident I can handle it. Excellent. Now, you're flying the Embraer? Uh, yeah, I fly the Embraer 170 and 175, also known as the E-Jet family of aircraft. And it's a great airplane. Uh, I, I really do believe they struck a great balance between automation and pilot control and flyability. I, I could go on forever about how much I love this airplane. Yeah, you really have been singing its praise, and it's so nice to hear a pilot that's so proud of his equipment. Well, that's, that's me. Um, and if it weren't for the fact that I was so distracted by the Rams-Patriots game and so on edge about it, <laughs> I, 
I could go on for a lot longer. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, right then. Well, thank you very much indeed, Scott. Uh, I'm going to wish you well and uh, hand it back to Jeff in the studio. Bye. Well, thank you for throwing it back at me. It sounds like you guys had a great time. Magnificent oh, size. We did. <laughs> Magnificent well, size. Uh-oh. You thought you were going to get away with that, Nick? Magnificent uh, size. I think that was the, alcohol, <laughs> the adult beverages speaking, perhaps. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that big of a guy. <laughs> That's she was talking about. He was talking about your equipment. You keep complaining you can't get your shoulders into the average uh, uh, upper class seat. Uh, it's so tr- I don't that's know, true. You're pretty, it's very true, actually. You're pretty magnificent. <laughs> yeah. So, but I did give me give me credit. I did go on a three thirty sim this week, and I sat in it because I want to see how I fit, and I do fit in that. Oh, there you go. Ah, whoa, maybe that's in your go. future then. Well, Dave certainly enjoys flying it very much indeed. So uh, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, he was a man who knows his stuff. So it was a pleasure meeting him and uh, uh, the other folk, Tanya, of course, um, and uh, Scott for setting it up. That's brilliant. Uh, and anyway, we uh, we enjoyed some nachos, drank lots of uh uh, IPA, uh, occasionally glanced at the telly, but I had to disappear at the, you know, just as the fourth quarter started because I was just dying. Um, but when I got back to my room, I did flick the telly back on just as I prepared to go to sleep, and I managed to see all the action in the 90 seconds that it occurred before the end of the game. So <laughs> I thought that was great. Good timing. Excellent. So, Steph. Oh, oh yes. sorry, just one other thing. No, uh, we sorry. were talking about meetups. Okay, yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, my next trip, Boston, uh, day after tomorrow. So uh, what day is that? That's uh, going to be the 6th. Tomorrow's the 7th. It's going to be the 8th. Is that right? That's Friday. I can't be sure. Yes. Let me just check. Got the you know, we should go on. to the APG calendar, uh, community calendar, and it's probably on that. Well, it probably is. This is a lot easier. No, it is Friday the 8th. We seem to have this on the wrong date. Okay, I must have put it in on the uh, on the calendar on the wrong date. Damn. Uh, anyway, uh, look, I'm going to be in Boston, and we had organized uh, a meetup there, um, and it's probably going to have to change day. So I'll, I'll have to contact... Uh, um, yes, the guy who set this up, and I'm... Just trying to see exactly who. Oh, no. Oh, it's the 8th on the APG calendar? Okay, well, it is the 8th then. All right, anyway, meet up. On the 8th um, at the Five Horses Tavern at 8.30 in Boston. Sorry if that all sounds a bit confusing, but uh, for some reason it says your APG meet up February the 9th, but it's not. It's on the 8th. Oh, I tell you why. This uh, because I entered it there and it switched time zones and it's just flipped over onto um, from uh, Eastern time to UK time. So UK time <laughs> will actually be one thirty in the morning, which is what it says in my calendar the next day, which is really confusing. Uh, so if you're confused, don't be surprised. I'm confused too. Uh, on the 8th at 8.30 in the evening in uh, Boston, uh, at the Five Horses Tavern. I'll be there. Uh, and um, who else is going to be there? Someone else is going to be there. Oh, damn. Why can't I remember these things? 
help me, somebody. We, we can't help you with this. Right, I've got all We're that. just going to let you continue <laughs> to dig your jet hole lag. here. You know, just jet lag really got my into. own. Yeah, I'm, I'm drowning my own uh, messing up. Right, Max, you I can appreciate this. There's going to be a lot of post-editing <laughs> work. Yeah, okay. Damn. Uh, uh, the, the fine gentleman who said he'd come and see me. I'll sort it out. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I hope yeah. you have a good time. I hope people know well, when sure they're supposed will. to meet you and where they're supposed to meet you on which Just, day. Yeah, and- look, it's on the 8th. On the 8th. It's going to be about 8.30 because I don't land till quite late into Boston, uh, around 7 o'clock. So I'm going to have to try and dash from the airport and uh, into the hotel, get changed, and then walk about seven blocks to this uh, bar and walk in and go, uh, who's the bloke whose name I can't remember? <laughs> 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 just hope they recognize you. That's, That's what I always do. I just assume just that like, people are going to recognize me <laughs> and say, "Hey, yeah, Captain Jeff." Uh, oh, yeah. Well, oh. you see, we've got it in the we've got it in the Boston meetup. Please RSV with Slack with meetup. Oh, there's no, there's no name there. Why is there a name there? So Jeff, while Nick sorts this sorts this, this out and tries useless. to figure out what day he's. <laughs> Meeting up with no, people, no, possibly, just, and with no, who? We got that. Can I, can I, uh, got that yes. right. can I jump in with meetup information at least? <laughs> and then maybe Nick will figure his stuff out and we can have just this meetup segment. So speaking of meetups, and actually Nick brings up a good point because I probably need to check the time that I put in on the calendar because it's not going to be in the time zone that I'm currently in. Next Wednesday, a week from today, the 13th of February, if you are in the Salt Lake City area, we're going to be having a meetup at about five o'clock in the evening at the Wasatch Brew Pub in Sugar House. That's the one on 21st South and Highland Drive, more or less. Um, Sugar House? Yes. It's a neighborhood of Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. I've been to the uh, that The one in brewery. Park City? No, no, never mind. No. I've, been to, I've been to that exact one, one in Salt Lake City. Downtown. Yes, yes. But it's a convenient yeah. location for me and um, seems like the time's going to work out for at least a couple of us. At least two folks will be there. I think Brian and Nathan have... Uh, said that they plan to make it. So if you are around um, and available uh, Wednesday afternoon, 5 to 7-ish, I do have to be out of there around 7, 7.30 to uh, head up to Park City for conferencing. Um, but That's mountain time, right? Mountain time, yes. Not Eastern okay. Standard Time. Uh, so skiing if you're, time. If you're looking, mountain skiing time. <laughs> if you're looking in the calendar and it says it starts at 7 p.m., that's probably because I entered it. Or it starts at, sorry, wrong way around. If it says it starts at 3 p.m., that's not true. It starts at 5 p.m. And I will try to fix that and make sure it's on the correct time zone in the APG calendar. Because it is local time, mountain standard time. Yeah, it does get confusing with the Doesn't Google it? calendar because it yeah. changes depending what time zone. You think you've got problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, Doug Steinfeld. Feld. Doug Steinfeld. Doug Steinfeld. He, he's... Yeah, you go. Doug is the guy that got in touch and said, oh, you're going to be in Boston. Let's get together for a beer. So at least Doug's going to be there. Okay. So thank you, Doug. And I, I apologize enormously for momentarily forgetting your name. I'm sure he'll forgive you. <laughs> Probably not going to pitch up now. He's so offended. <laughs> you're, you're he's like, this guy now. doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. With him. Yeah, well, well, I usually am. Mm. <laughs> well, hey, all of your meetups... I have. Mm-hmm. I'll raise you one. Okay. Yeah. We had a an Alpharetta, Georgia, Atlanta, APG meetup. Uh, kind of 
because we had somebody from out of town visiting us in the Atlanta area. His name, we're not really sure. Robert Richard Dick Hamish Fairbairn uh, was in town and visiting his uh, grandmother up in Cumming, Georgia. And so uh, we got together, a bunch of us, over at the Loyal Q and Brew, and I recorded a little something-something. So let's listen to that. Hey, we are at the Loyal Q and Brew in Alpharetta, Georgia, at the Atlanta APG meetup on the 1st of February, 2019. We're going to start with uh, this gentleman here. We know him as uh, Ray, my neighbor in Alpharetta. And uh, would you like to say something to the community? Yeah. Hey, folks. Uh, well, Jeff's managed to get a second time an Alpharetta meetup which is pretty cool for me. And we've had a, a good uh, evening here. Uh, some folk arrived a little bit later than the rest of us, but that's okay. It's been turned out to be great. So I'll pass it on to Rob now. Hey, Rob. Hey, this is Robert Hamish McDick Haggis. And uh, <laughs> that's probably about all I should say based on the looks I'm getting right now. But... Uh, Despite all efforts from the airlines to the contrary and a, a nice customer service person helping me out and Acme coming to the rescue, I did eventually get here to have some absolutely delicious barbecue with some great people. So thanks for picking me up, Jeff. Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Yes, and I'm going to have to figure out how to do the censoring uh, in post. And now the next contestant here, Harris. Thanks, Jeff. I'm Harris from East Cobb, and I just wanted to say, Jeff, thank you for having this community. I've only been listening for half a year or so. I've been to two of these meetups, and for any of you out there that have been on the fence about meeting one of the crew when they're out and about, I highly recommend it. I mean, Jeff, Dana are fantastic people, but everybody else that comes just really is the icing on the cake. Even better than the crew, I'd say. Thanks, Harris. This is Chris Cochran. Hey, everybody. This is Chris from Decatur. Uh, just want to um, have a good conversation here with uh, APGers. Um, want to thank Jeff and Dana for putting this together and uh, looking forward to uh, the next meetup here in Atlanta. Me too. Me too. I don't know. You want to really hear from Dana? I don't know. Everybody probably doesn't want to hear from me, especially... Uh, because you're tired of hearing everything I always have to say. But listen, it is a Super Bowl weekend here in Atlanta with my beloved New England Patriots in town. But instead, I choose to come on out here and spend a fantastic evening with some APG members. What a sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. I'm still sitting here with my funny red hair on, so it doesn't matter. I, I am still representing. But hey, listen, great to hang out with all these great APG community folks. And thank you very much for coming out and joining us tonight. So, um, I'm going to pass the mic over to my lovely bride, who uh, I don't think you've ever heard her voice. So here she is. Here's Julie. Hi, everyone. This is Julie, and it's been a pleasure to meet everyone. I, th I think this might be my first meetup, or I think I might have come once before, but it was maybe two years ago. But it was good to uh, chat with everyone tonight, and I'm enjoying lovely 
dinner and some good brews. So uh, having a great night here. Thank you, Jeff, for putting it together. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without the help of everybody else. And now we have uh, Sir John. Hey, this is Railroad John. Speaking, just sitting here enjoying good food, good company, and watching all kinds of different sports on these TVs. This has really been a nice get-together. And do we dare give this to your lovely wife, Shirley? Probably, uh, she's, she's giving me the look. I better give it to her. And what am I supposed to say? Just something really pleasant. Oh, something really pleasant. Well, I want you to know it's been a very pleasant evening. This is the second or third meetup I've gone to come to. It's been wonderful. We're, I'm one of two women here tonight, so it's been extremely wonderful being surrounded by all these gentlemen. And I've heard more aviation airplane talk than I've ever heard, and probably more than I want to hear, but it's been enjoyable. So thank you, Jeff. And I appreciate my chauffeur, Dana, bringing me to it tonight. Thank you. He is such a gentleman, and you are such a lady. Thank you very much. All right, so there is a little taste of what these uh, meetups can be like. Uh, Stephen was here as well, but he had to leave. Unfortunately, I didn't get the uh, recording done before he left, uh, Stephen Ivey. So he has got uh, airport standby tomorrow morning, uh, kind of early, so he had to get back. So with that, it's time for me to throw this back to you, APG crew, in the studio. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, sounds like you all had a great time. Oh, uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> Didn't we, Dana? It was it was really good to see so many APG uh, community folks out there and uh, having uh, a great meal with uh, some really good uh, liquid to join it. Uh, it was a really, uh, for me, it was a great uh, beginning for the weekend. So I really enjoyed the, yeah. that meetup. We had a really good time. And great to hear from my wife. Uh, she, I kind of dragged my feet to make sure she would be able to come join us, hoping that you'd set the meetup late enough. And then it turned out a little bit later than anticipated, which actually worked out perfect. So it was, it was fantastic that we were all able to get together. Great, right. great. Rob food. had a little bit of a. Uh, problems or issues with his uh, connection com going from Washington, D.C. to Chicago and then to Atlanta. And uh, luckily, Acme, yay, Acme, helped out, got him uh, there a couple hours later than he was hoping to. But uh, I picked him up from the airport, drove up, and it worked out great. And it was great seeing Rob. In fact, I saw Rob uh, two days later. Uh, we were talking about the Super Bowl earlier. Uh, he and I were invited to uh, a, a Super Bowl party over at uh, Mike Carroll's place, and uh, that was a lot of fun. You have any so. audio from that or no? Nope. Okay. It was off the record. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, might as well continue on the meetup theme because there is, hopefully, a meetup happening in Columbus, Ohio, uh, February 15th. Tiffany is going to be there from Buffalo, and uh, she's she keeps hearing about all these APG meetups, and she wants to be part of one, and so she's going to be there on the, uh, I think that's a Friday, February 15th. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it up or not, but uh, I hope I will be able to, but uh, you know, you APGers, uh, Columbus APGers, you know who I'm talking about. Let's make sure we uh, do it up really nice for Tiffany. I'm sure that she and all of you will have a good time. And hops in the hangar and uh, at the Delta Flight Museum on the 23rd of February. So the following week, uh, we're having a, several of the APG community will be there. Looking forward to that. And 
if uh, you want to check out all this stuff, uh, you can go over to the Airline Pilot Guy website and just click on calendar and then you'll see all the APG community calendar stuff. And if you want to go a little bit more in-depth, make sure that you listen to Hillel at the end of the show where he'll talk about how you can join our Slack team. It's a happening place. And Jeff, can I just add one thing that I, I forgot to add for you? And that yeah. was when you're talking about Robert coming into uh, Atlanta on an Acme Savior flight. It was on actually on our aircraft. That wasn't uh, highlighted, but he did get to fly on the Oh, yeah, it was a Mad, Mad Dog, Dog yep, so. that he flew on. Yeah. How apropos. Yeah, he was, he was concerned he would probably never fly one before it was retired. Uh, mm-hmm. He got the unique opportunity to enjoy it. And he did express that enjoyment Excellent. to us. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And also, one other addendum. Mm-hmm. I uh, was able to, I met up with uh, Robert and John um, yesterday. Let's see. Yeah, yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, we had a little get-together, and uh, Robert got to take go downstairs and see John's collection of aviation memorabilia. Took a lot of photographs, so I don't know if he's going to post any of those, but um, uh, unbelievable. Again, unbelievable collection that john has that is very very cool i look forward to seeing that sometime myself um hey uh speaking of slack uh we have a slack team and another fantastic aviation podcast in fact the creator and host of it is here in our chat room our live chat room max flight uh he posted this email that he received in the uh and the Airplane Geek Slack team, and he said, I hope you don't mind if I post it here in the uh, APG Slack room. And I said, absolutely not. Don't mind at all. So this is what the email says. I am the activities leader at the Arkansas Veterans Home in Fayetteville. I have a resident that was a Purple Heart pilot in Vietnam. He loves aviation magazines, and I was checking to see if you offer a free magazine that could be sent to him or if you have any used aviation magazines that you would like to donate to him, if you're able to assist, please shoot me an email or call me. And then there's a, a telephone number there and I will provide the address information. So they will get to my resident. And that is from, uh, let's see, Denise Jansen, uh, activities leader at the Arkansas veterans home of Fayetteville. Uh, we, uh, have it in our Slack, uh, our, our Slack page and also, mention it here. So any of you out there who can help out with uh, providing some good stuff for this Purple Heart pilot in v- uh, in Vietnam. Actually, he's in Arkansas. Thank you. Oh, all right. Um, anything else before uh, we move on to the coffee fund briefly? I don't think so. Nope. Okay. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Okay, the Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially. And if you're interested in doing that and you have the resources to do so, please check out the APG Coffee Fund and become part of the Coffee Fund cadre. And there are two ways to do that. One is the classic method, which is via PayPal. And since the last episode, Chris Lindsay gave us a nice donation. And 
The other way to do it is to become a patron via patreon.com. And Paul Rack and Andrew Cook are new producers via Patreon. Again, if you want to find out information on how you can join the Coffee Fund, listen to those crew logs and such, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And a reminder, if you have contributed via the classic method and you haven't received the information about the feed for the crew log, please contact me. Send me an email at jeff at airlinepilotguy.com. I'll make sure I set you up. Again, thank you so much, everyone, for contributing to the show. It really makes a big difference to us. Stand by for news. First item in the news is, uh, we talked about it on the last show, the crash of a Piper Malibu, November 264 Delta Bravo, uh, was flying from Nantes, France, to Cardiff, and uh, was lost en route, and uh, the last contact they had with them was about 5,000 feet somewhere over the English Channel, and wreckage from the plane carrying the uh, Cardiff City footballer Emiliano Sala, or Salah has been discovered in the English Channel. Um, Let's see, David Mearns, who led a privately funded search for the aircraft, said it was located off of Guernsey on Sunday. He said, all I will say is that there is a substantial amount of wreckage on the seabed. Speaking on Radio 4's Today program on Monday, Mr. Mearns said, we located the wreckage of the plane on the seabed at a depth of about 63 meters within the first couple of hours of searching. He said the plane was identified by sonar before a submersible with cameras was sent underwater and was able to confirm it was the plane. They saw the registration number, and the biggest surprise is that most of the plane is there. Uh, It was a private search. uh, Raised some money uh, to uh, facilitate this search, and uh, they found it pretty quickly. So um, we'll put more information uh, via this particular article from the BBC.com in our show notes. What do y'all think? Well, I'm glad they found it. It'll uh, put uh, a lot of the uh, speculation to rest uh, because there were reports that uh, people had seen lights and flares on a a very small deserted island nearby and that they might have escaped. But uh, I think they've even managed to uh, locate uh, one body in the wreckage. So uh, there's little doubt these uh, two guys perished, which is a dreadful shame. But we won't know exactly what happens until they bring the wreckage up, assuming they're going to go to that expense. And then the AIB will uh, take a close look at it and work out the problem, what happened. But uh, there you go. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see, uh, of course, we don't know the certification of this guy, do we? That was flying. What level he was? Whether he's a private no. pilot? I think yeah, he was, was a, a, question a about private, that? Yeah. private pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, <clears throat> he wasn't a commercial pilot. He wasn't a commercial pilot. So just, you know, whether he had an no. instrument rating or not, or you know, what, the, what the flight conditions were. And 
you know, uh, well, it wasn't wasn't good weather, and it was getting it had got dark. So yeah. you know, unless if he didn't have an instant rating, he would have been in uh, uh, in trouble. Yeah, and in 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 what I'm thinking here, and what what my line of thought is, of course, we all remember what happened with JFK Jr. So that's what I'm I'm you know kind of leaning towards is is we probably find there was not a whole lot wrong with the airplane, or maybe there was, I don't know, but. Maybe it's a pilot issue again, so I'm hoping not. There was speculation that it could have something to do with icing. Yeah, that that could be. Mm-hmm. Although Malibu, no, it does not have. No, I don't think it's it does not for flight into known icing. Yeah, I don't think it is either. I had to think about that one second. Although the one of them, the, not the Malibu, what's the next one up? Um, oh, Meridian. Meridian. Merid- I think. Yeah, I think Meridian, Meridian is is. I'd have to look it up. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. Who knows? We'll be interested to see what happens with this one. Keep on track on, on Well, the air investigation um, branch, um, the AAIB, is taking over. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear something from them regarding what they determine as far as the cause. Terrible. Yep. Very sad. All right. Um, moving on. Southwest paid an FAA inspector $3,150. To approve jets during the government shutdown. And this is from, um, let's see, travelpulse.com. During the government shutdown, Federal Aviation Administration employees were among the thousands of furloughed federal employees. Because of the shutdown, safety inspections for airlines were halted by the FAA for all airlines but one. According to MarketWatch, Southwest Airlines got around the furlough drawback and managed to get some much-needed safety inspections on three jets by paying one FAA employee to return to work for $3,150. Interesting sum. Why, why not just 3000 or 3500 I don't know. I would have asked for more. Maybe it was the an employee. hourly rate. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Maybe what they get paid for a week, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so anyway, the employee just had to come in to work for three hours of paperwork. Ooh, that's pretty good. $1,000 an hour as most of the administrative paperwork had already been done before the shutdown began. Could that be viewed um, as paying somebody off? Well, the, unusual, the this article continues, the, the unusual agreement included having FAA managers and lawyers sitting down with the airline to create a formal agree, agreement. So apparently, they were all on board with this. Uh, ultimately, they agreed to move forward because the move complied with laws and regulations restricting restricting agency functions while the budget impasse dragged on. But apparently, some other companies weren't quite as um, happy about this whole thing, thinking, hey, wait a minute. We have jets that need to be inspected, too. Wish we had thought of that. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it actually illegal to, uh, or legal, I should say, to do this? Apparently, they had the FAA and other lawyers there. I would think as long as up. the as long as the government agency approves the form of compensation for the employee, and the employee is still following all of the appropriate rules and regulations. Yeah, the article talks about interesting. You know, Delta Airlines had to postpone the debut of four Airbus SEA two twenties. Uh, or basically the uh, the C series because FAA inspectors weren't available. Uh, union officials were also complaining because they weren't consulted as required, and that the arrangement appeared to represent favorable treatment for Southwest at the expense of competitors. Well, and, and the other question I have is that if this person gets reimbursed once the government 
came open again, do they have to repay the money? Because now mm-hmm. he's getting double pay for, or well, he's getting a Shh, pay. Let's don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That is a good point. <clears throat> I guess now this is all over the papers as well. He has to be very careful with his next tax return. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps this is not a good thing that happened. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, you know, the it doesn't sound like the FAA announced to all operators that this would be a possibility of something they could do. And it sounds like one airline just kind of took their own initiative and tried to do the workaround and it worked. You know, I'm sure that this is the very first time that Southwest has I'm, ever received absolutely any sure. kind of special treatment. <laughs> yeah. 100% sure. 100% sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Get a little choked up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I sneeze? Gesundheit. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's continue before we get into too much trouble. Um, layout of two runways. Let's see. Uh, Transportation Safety Board probed 27 runway incursions at uh, Toronto's Pearson International between 2012 and 2017. The Transportation Safety Board is recommending that the layout of two runways at Canada's busiest airport be changed to lessen the risk of collisions between aircraft. The uh, That recommendation was one of three included in a report from the Independent Safety Watchdog after its investigations into 27 runway incursions at Toronto's Pearson International Airport between 2012 and 2017, which I already said. The TSB defines a runway incursion as an incident where an aircraft or ground vehicle mistakenly occupies an active runway. A worst-case scenario would be a direct collision between two planes as a result. According to investigators, all of the Pearson incidents occurred between two closely spaced parallel runways at the south end of the airport uh, grounds. The two runways are connected by several rapid exit taxiways, small stretches of runway, no, not runway, uh, that aircraft can use to move from one to the other. The journalist was doing so well until then. Uh, both runways are used at the same time during peak hours at Pearson, and each can see hundreds of takeoffs and landings in a single day. That means when the aircraft lands, it needs to move out of the way as soon as possible because the next approaching aircraft might be only seconds behind. And that is true, really, at all these busy international airports. However, if you look at this article, which we'll include in the uh, show notes, it'll have um, a couple of graphics that show a bird's eye view of the two runways that we're talking about here, two four left and two four right. And the very short segment high speed turnoffs off of two four left. And as soon as you go on this high speed, uh, which doesn't allow for a lot of deceleration room, uh, you have to stop pretty quickly to uh, keep from encroaching upon the very closely spaced two four right. Now, Dana, I know you've been into Toronto. Have you landed on two four left? Uh, I think I have actually. I have, and it's confusing. And it is, you know, actually, maybe I've landed on two four right. But even two four right, the uh, taxiing instructions is kind of confusing. At least it was for me. But it's been a while since I've been there. Yeah, I mean, I was a brand new captain when I went there recently, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, I'm pretty sure I went on two four left, but. It's been a while. Um, yeah. You know, my only my only thought on this is is there's actually a pretty easy solution to it. Just close the airport. Close the airport. Just <laughs> close it down. That's easy. Sorry. I'm wondering Gotta if Dana's solution is the same as as mine. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But all right. So Philadelphia, 
And I think Nate, as soon as I say this, Jeff's going to know exactly what I'm going with this. <clears throat> Philadelphia, they land on the inboard and take off on the outboard. So why couldn't they do that here in Toronto? And that way mm-hmm. it would alleviate the issue of uh, of the high speed to very sh- close runways. And even if they had to build a couple high speeds on to 2-4 right to accommodate coming off 2-4 right, that would really eliminate the uh, the issue of, of crossing the inboard runway on, you know, on the landing roll. That might be a solution, yeah. That's just my thought on that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got, from looks of it, they've got four high speeds off 2-4 right anyway. So, uh, I mean, two in the direction 2-4 right and two in the opposing direction. And that's a brilliant idea, Dana. Uh, I don't mean to sound patronizing. I think that's, that's really the solution to the problem. But they, perhaps there's some local restriction that prevents them from doing that. But uh, that would solve all the problems. And it could be also maybe how you manage the traffic at the um, at the departure end of the uh, you know the the beginning part of two four left because you just have kind of a little bit of a stub taxiway kind of a reverse high speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you pile wouldn't up too many up, aircraft yeah. up, would you? No, yeah. no but with a little bit a little bit of construction down that end versus trying mm-hmm. to move a whole runway. You could yeah. you could very easily build in some space in there, in which you could cross mm-hmm. cross uh, traffic, and to be quite frank, uh, you know Philadelphia they do have a little bit more space to work with, but they're mm-hmm. very efficient where they land and immediately cross one, so it doesn't take but a minute to you know you get you know what a minute and a half two minutes between each landing to to cross one guy and and, and be able to get them. Uh, into position on you know two full left in efficient manner. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just a suggestion because uh, you know they do it so well in Philadelphia. Sometimes it gets bogged down, but not too mm-hmm. often. Good point. No, definitely something to look yeah. at. Much easier than just eliminating the high speed uh, tax the high speed uh, taxiways there. Or, right. or just turn them all to ninety degrees so you can't you know. Exit at high speed I mean, they're not the, much better than ninety degree taxiways, really. True, when you look yeah. at the uh, diagram, but if they were more, if they were uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, if they were not angled, it would, the temptation to exit at a higher speed would not be there. It'd be more difficult to clear the runway for, you know, traffic on final behind it, you. But that would significantly uh, yeah. slow down the arrival rate yeah. because now you have to leave more spacing between each aircraft because they have to come to almost complete stop to make the turn, especially with the wide body aircraft. So, yeah, but the good thing is they never have snow there because it's Canada. Right. And so it's never a problem with the friction or anything. Never an issue. Oh, wait a minute. No, and, oh, and, and, they're, and they're also grooved runways. Uh, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's go back oh, to square Canada. one. Uh, oh, Canada, <laughs> how okay. I love thee. <laughs> we do. We love, especially Canadians. Oh, yeah. My favorite people. Truly. Yes. Love them. All right. I I, I see Liz has just handed in her resignation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're being serious. We love yeah, you. <laughs> there, was, there was no... <laughs> Although, you know, as oh. we mentioned last show, Liz is not your typical Canadian. She's not quite as nice as most Canadians. No, I'm just kidding. She knows it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Definitely handed it a resignation now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's done. It's a done deal. Uh, so the uh, the next item is also in Canada, and 
this is regarding a an incident that occurred on a WestJet flight, and uh, it was a UK man, United Kingdom, yeah, figures, uh, who was drunk and caused bad behavior on the flight on a, of a WestJet plane, and it caused them to turn around, and he has been fined more than twenty one thousand dollars Canadian, which is about a hundred bucks, I think, U.S. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's not quite that bad. But uh, <laughs> I'm really winning a lot of people here, aren't I, tonight? The conversion's like 1.3. 1.3? Or- okay. So that's still a lot of money. And it's good to hear, finally, that uh, people are getting busted for doing stupid things on airplanes and causing diverts. And uh, Are any people from the U.K.? Yeah, only – yeah, well, of course. You know, U.K. people. <laughs> so – uh, the UK man was absolutely disgusting drunken, drunken behavior. It caused a WestJet flight to turn around and land back in Calgary. Uh, had to pay $21,260.68 for the cost of the wasted fuel. An expensive bar tab. Yeah. So it's like buying a car, basically. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, David Stephen Young, 44 years old. You get to buy a car, except that you don't get to actually drive the car. <laughs> I read that he is only a UK resident. Oh, okay. Not a not a citizen. The UK resident had been visiting his mother in BC, so perhaps his mother is his family come from Canada, and he's only residing temporarily in the UK. That might be the case. That could be, could be. Not that it matters. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but if it makes you feel any better, yeah, that's probably it. Okay, Uh, Um, definitely it. (laughs) Anyways, it's good to hear that. the legal system is finally doing something. Now, if we can just get the word out to people and keep them from drinking too much on airplanes and causing, you know, returns and diverts, uh, we'll be ahead of the game. But I have a feeling that most people that would do this kind of thing don't really pay attention to this kind of stuff. So, no, I think you're right. Unfortunately. Yeah. No, particularly when they're drunk. Yeah. Okay. Um, item E. Um, this was an incident that occurred actually an accident, a crash off of the southern Atlantic Florida coastline, a Piper PA-32RT-300, a Lance II, November 3016 Lima. Um, On the 1st of February, a prominent veterinarian in Palm Beach and his wife and a couple of dogs were in the Piper Lance II, also I think is called a Saratoga, depending on on the year that it was manufactured, uh, a very nice six-place um, single-engine Piper aircraft. Uh, they were leaving their, the Palm Beach Airport, heading over to Marsh Harbor in the Bahamas. And if you look at this uh, link in the show notes, you'll see that on FlightAware, they have a, a superimposition of is that right? The right word? They, sure. they superimposed uh, a, the radar returns uh, that day. Um, that were uh, coming in just off the coast. Looks like his flight path headed toward uh, an area of some severe thunderstorms, and it kind of squiggles around a little bit, and uh, then um, it just gets, uh, it loses track and crashes into the the Atlantic. And looks like he lost control of the airplane. Um, I'm not sure why, if it had something directly to do with the, the thunderstorm activity, or maybe, uh, I don't know if the gentleman was an instrument rated pilot and maybe he got into a 
situation where he just lost control because he wasn't IFR rated or if it was just so violent that uh, it just uh, took the airplane down. But uh, it's sad, especially for, you know, the the doggies. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I just thought I'd mention that on, on the show because it was kind of a kind of a, a reminder for those of us who are general aviation pilots and, you know, we do the same flight all the time. Apparently, that's what happened in this case. I mean, this doctor, uh, they had a, uh, a home over in Marsh Harbor that they visited quite regularly. And maybe they had gotten away with getting around weather systems like this in the past. And this is one that, I guess, finally caught up with them. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't want to develop complacency. Um, you have to have a healthy respect for weather, especially as a GA pilot, um, especially in a single engine airplane. Um, and especially depending on what your uh, personal uh, qualifications are, whether you're a private pilot, whether you have an instrument rating, whether you have, um, you know, how much currency or recency of experience you have, how much you fly on a regular basis, how long you've been flying. Um, I think it's not a bad thing to have rather high personal limits and minimums. Uh, it certainly beats the alternative. Mm-hmm. Isn't it one of the major causes of GA accidents in the States? Uh, bad weather where, mm-hmm. with unrated pilots? Mm-hmm. It used to be yeah. uh, fuel starvation, um, but I don't know if it's still... You know, I don't, I don't know the statistics exactly, but certainly yeah. um, uh, flight into instrument conditions by non-instrument rated pilots um, is still an issue. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you you uh, as part of your private pilot certificate training here in the U.S., and I'm sure it's the same everywhere in the world, there is a certain amount of time. I, I forgot it's how many hours, like four three hours, hours. three hours where you are in simulated instrument conditions. Right. You're under a hood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but flying under the hood and flying an actual instrument flight rule conditions or in, instrument meteorological conditions is not the same. Not not the same thing. Not even, not even a little bit. No, no. Yeah. You, you can't cheat. We used to have a saying when I was a student pilot was one peak was worth a thousand scans. Mm-hmm. That's still true. So you, <laughs> still true. Easy to, che- easy to cheat. Just have a quick squeeze. Oh, yeah, I know which way up I am now. That's still true even in the commercial airline piloting realm Uh, (laughs) i mean am i right you know you're like looking on the radar you can't see anything and then all of a sudden you break out of the clouds and you can see all of the uh weather systems out in front of you and that is worth so much more than what you're seeing on the radar you know being able to see absolutely exactly yeah Yeah, and in in why sometimes it's much better to fly during daytime versus nighttime because in Mm -hmm. nighttime you trust them what's on the radar and you really don't know what you're really looking at I mean, nope. you look. We know what we're looking yeah. at as far as you know the weather goes, but we don't know the cloud formations we're flying through. And you know, during daytime, you can see the and, and be able to avoid a lot more during the daytime, certainly. But in this case, in this case, obviously, clearly in the radar, um, they were probably flying in a situation that they're not familiar with. Just kind of like the same scenario we're just talking about. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And Sad. I think it also highlights the importance of planning your flight, including weather planning. Um, you know, it's easy. I, I can certainly understand where folks do the same flight over and over and over again. They live in the area. They're familiar with weather systems and weather patterns. Certainly in South Florida, there's all kinds of, um, you know, pop-up thunderstorms, especially in the afternoons. Um, generally easy enough to see, but 
I think this is something where, you know, a little bit of, because those, those, the storms that it appears that they flew through are relatively close to shore, should be easy to see on radar um, planning tools, on weather planning tools. Uh, for flight would certainly have that information. National Weather Service, um, get a briefing. Yeah, and, and another thing is, is I don't know the severity. I mean, it's hard to tell on this radar how severe that thunderstorm or how heavy that rain was. You know, we don't know if it's thunderstorm or rain, but certainly uh, if if they had any type of radar equipment, i.e. even looking at your phone, you'd be able to see this stuff out there. And mm-hmm. probably if, with, with a little bit of briefing you're talking about, may have not decided to go until the stuff moved moved on or, or you know sure. whether it was structural failure or or just loss of situational awareness i mean there's anything that can happen when you get into into that type of uh, a scenario too mm-hmm. well again another sad story there uh speaking of sad stories we have another one um this one in southern california yorba linda Five people died after a small plane crashed into a neighborhood in Yorba Linda on Sunday afternoon. Apparently, uh, there was a family there um, hosting a Super Bowl party, and a um, one single pilot in a twin-engine Cessna 414A had just departed the Fullerton Municipal Airport when the airplane suddenly lost control. There was some video. I don't know if you all were able to see the video of the airplane in flight and basically looks like it was just spinning. And at some point before it hits the ground, it actually exploded and then crashed into this house and killed the four people that were, or four of the people that were in the house and also the pilot in the airplane. And that's all we know really so far until the NTSB is able to investigate the crash and determine what might've happened there. And and I mentioned it because it's kind of interesting to see when you when you have eyewitness video of something like this. So yeah, I didn't uh, get a chance to see the video, but and I'm not sure it's in this particular article. No, it's, from I don't think it is. KTLA, but through. if you do a search for it, I'll I'll see if I can remember to put um, the video that I saw in uh, along with the uh, other stuff that we have there in the show notes. And then finally, uh, Turkmenistan Airlines uh, leaves thousands of passengers stranded after air regulators grounded them for safety reasons. The UK's Civil Aviation Authority said flights from Birmingham and London's Heathrow to Amritsar and Heathrow to New Delhi, which fly via Ashgabat, Turkmenistan, have been suspended. The CAA acted after the European Safety Agency suspended permission for it to fly in the uh, European Union. It also flies from Paris and Frankfurt. Um, Nick, any information about, are there a lot of uh, airlines that are banned from flying in the EU? Well, uh, yeah, got it now. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, that I was. I took a little look at this. I was really quite surprised uh, how many. I mean, it's around 200 airlines that are worldwide that are, prevented from flying in the in the EU. Now, s- most are because they've come from countries which uh, EASA have banned. So any airline from that country is prevented from flying to our airspace. Um, but some countries have 
individual airlines that are allowed in because they have been graded as okay. And some of those airlines might have only some of its types of aircraft that are allowed in. So there are, there are pretty um, uh, high restrictions. And uh, I was uh, amazed at the number of blacklisted airlines. So over 200 from 16 countries or states that are either banned outright or placed under restrictions from operating in our airspace. Now, I looked at uh, the figures for the US. You guys only ban countries. You don't ban individual airlines. Um, and it seems to be a, a much smaller figure. But um, what happens is that all these uh, countries and or airlines have to be graded by uh, EASA safety consultants. And if they don't pass that uh, that pretty stringent test, then they're just not allowed in the airspace. Uh, and obviously this airline failed its, uh, its check and uh, very sadly it meant for all those passengers who were booked on it or overseas and were relying on it to get back. Um, we've got to find other means and what's more this airline was not part of the um, protection insurance system that our government runs so there'll be no government rescue uh, it's up to the passengers themselves to uh, try and get their money refunded from the airline and then perhaps book with someone else to get their flights conducted but uh, that was quite an eye-opener for me yeah what do you think of us now <laughs> exactly. I'm actually just looking here. It looks like in the U.S., um, there are only one, two, three, four, five banned countries um, because their uh, uh, regulating authorities do not meet FAA and ICAO standards. Is, Is Indonesia one of the countries? Uh, nope. Nope. Bangladesh, Curacao, Ghana, Saint Martin, Thailand. Hmm. Thailand. Interesting. Yeah, that's an odd one, isn't it? It is. I mean, we we ban some countries which you would probably expect, like Angola, Afghanistan, um, Congo, uh, uh, Djibouti. Uh, so a lot of African countries. Uh, Iraq, Iraq Airways, Iraqi Airways are banned. Iran, um, the, and uh, the, somewhere which has have a terrible um, so some some are countries which are in conflict so that probably wouldn't be a brilliant idea some are just have a terrible safety record um, but there are also some that I was a bit surprised uh, so St Vincent St Vincent and the Grenadines yeah. they have an air an airline called Mustika Air, Airways they're banned. Um, Sudan, all airlines are banned. Ukraine, there's an airline there that's banned. Uh, banned. So, yeah, it's 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 quite a quite a big list. Not very inclusive there, Nick. Well, no, but better safe than sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say the list I'm looking at does not um, say anything about countries that do not offer flights to the U.S. or provide air transport. So, there's quite yeah. a number of other countries, but I, I would imagine that a lot of the um, airlines that are banned from the EU is because of their proximity to uh, the European Union countries, and uh, that's why I don't see it here because quite a quite a trek from a lot of those places to mm -hmm. head all the way to the United States. All right, well, that's enough of the news. I think now it's time for your feedback. Yeah. 
Captain. Incoming message. All right. Let's start with Ian. This is hi, Jeff and APG crew. Ian here again. This is my third time writing in, but I've been listening for about two years now. And due to my APG syndrome, I've actually gone back and listened to every single episode. Oh, my gosh. Ian. It's a severe case. We'll be praying for you. Severe. <laughs> Paul Mann. Paul yes. Mann. I just finished listening to APG 358 and have some feedback regarding the PIA ATR 42 crash or the PIA ATR 42 crash. While I'm no expert, I've heard of numerous ATR 42 and ATR 72 accidents similar to this. And there is apparently a fundamental flaw with the way the feathering system works on these aircraft. This is just a guess. But I suspect that the prop did not feather properly when the engine failed, and it essentially caused so much drag that the plane was unable to keep flying. If you recall a few years ago, TransAsia Flight 235 and ATR-72 had an issue with the auto-feathering system, but then the pilot made a fatal error and rolled back the wrong engine. There's been a few other accidents that have occurred because of flaws in the auto-feathering system, and the TransAsia crash investigation unveiled a fun fundamental flaw in the prop auto-feathering design. Electronic and something to do with the way the hydraulic system is designed, if I recall correctly. I think that, that one he's referring to, is that the one we had the dash cam video of the thing coming in? and then Yes, just kind of yes. Turning? over the bridge. Dramatic. Into yeah. The, yeah. Ooh, it was not good. Anyway, uh, here's a link to the TransAsia crash that he gave us from flightsafety.org. Uh, the next APG episode I'll be listening to on a plane, or I'll, the next APG episode he'll be listening to is while he's on a plane, an Air Canada Boeing 787 to Santiago, Chile, where my girlfriend and I will be enjoying the next three weeks touring around South America. Favorable tailwinds and cavu to you all. Ian Griffin from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, so that could be, you know, that the PIA, I guess it's the Pakistani International Airlines. Um, yep. That uh, basically hit terrain. And we were wondering exactly why they couldn't fly with one engine. But he makes a good point. If, uh, if the one engine uh, that failed didn't feather properly, it's like a parachute out there, right? Yeah, like a big uh, speed brake. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, parachute or bond door or something like that. However you want yeah. to say it. I don't know if we'll ever hear exactly what happened in that case uh, based on the uh, investigatory agency for that country, but hopefully we will. Uh, item two, Daniel. Uh, he writes in, hi, Captain Jeff. Hi, Captain Jeff. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Have you seen this entertaining video from C.W. Lemoyne? I think it is worth sharing it for those guys and gals who want to join the military in your country. <laughs> Best regards to I you and to your crew. This. this is from Daniel Sanico uh, from Italy. Have, it's been a while since we've heard from Daniel. Yeah, I'm excited to hear from him again. Yeah. And did you watch the, uh, well, I know Nick did, uh, this info, <laughs> yeah, infographics fighter pilot video. In fact, you talked about it, didn't you, on the last show? We were talking about eyesight with, uh, with Nicky. I talked about it. At some point, but I don't know if it was on the last show, I but I just so. thought it was just brilliant. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. I did too. He, he really li ripped into them. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't just be because he wanted to be mean. It was kind of like, there's a lot of bad information that this video is putting out there. 
Oh, that's right. I remember there was a query about uh, eyesight right. levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I quoted uh, the eyesight levels that uh, Levine uh, mentioned for getting into the USAF because, uh, you know, and that's where the yep. reference was. And by the way, I said I thought for some reason because of the way the name was spelled, Nick, N-I-K, and, a, and some other point in there, I think it said N-I-K-K-I. I just assumed that that was a feminine version of the name Nick. Uh, but uh, he wrote back. He wrote back in and said, "Oh, by the way, not that it matters, but I'm a guy." <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, wait, it matters. <laughs> so I, uh, our apologies. And, and, I, and I deal with that a lot with my. First yeah, I name. bet you do. I, I do. bet you do. In fact, the first time I saw Dana on my uh, uh, that I was going to fly with somebody named Dana, I'm thinking, "Ooh, I guess I better make sure my hair is all in place." And. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, he, just to kidding. be fair, <laughs> every time he's yeah. flown with Dana since then, he does the same thing. I do. Yeah, that's true. Yes. All in place. <laughs> he is always it's perfectly even more important. <laughs> perfectly groomed. Yeah, and, and Dana puts his green hair on. Uh, green or red? <laughs> Last time I saw him, it green was red. Or red. Yeah, but I've seen white too. <laughs> I don't know. Blonde. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's such a cute blonde. Oh, stop it. Yeah. Anyway, so you all should check out uh, not the information, the infographics fighter pilot video because it's bad stuff. But uh, give that a miss. Yeah. But the one from C.W. Lemoyne, who I think is, uh, I really like his style. Uh, He's a uh, fighter pilot, uh, I guess, both former and current. I'm not sure exactly. You know, I don't know a lot about him, but it looks to me like he's getting checked out in all kinds of airplanes concurrently with his job as a uh, major airline pilot. I don't believe he flies for Acme. Uh, I tried to look up his name on our seniority list, and I didn't find it, unless he's going by an alias, which is possible, I guess. Yeah, I I, I think I heard a little bit about his background on some of his earlier uh, podcasts. He's a bit of a fighter pilot's fighter pilot. So, uh, yeah, he's worth listening to. He's very good. Yeah, I I was uh, very impressed with uh, his, his video stuff. So check it out. And uh, thank you, Daniel, for mentioning it. Hope everything is going well for you in Italy. One of these days, going to visit you and have some good pasta and red wine with you, whether you like it or not. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sounds like I've a just threat to me. Myself to Stay with mm-hmm. Daniel. <laughs> I don't even know where he is in Italy, like, but I'll find you. Like, what, are you what are you doing on uh, you know January, July? Yeah, I don't know what a good time it is. I'm to heading visit. there actually right as soon as I finish recording right, today's show. Right. This this weekend. Yes. I'm gonna find Stephen Ivy. I think he's over there somewhere too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh Sean. Right. Sean's being a little sarcastic here, I think. So it seems that United Airlines has decided to help promote tourism to Goose Bay again. I think they had to divert into Goose Bay. Which begs a question. How would your airlines compensate the flight crew if they were involved in such a flight? Would it be block time from Newark to Goose Bay? So it was a United flight going from Newark to somewhere over in Europe, I think. And they had to divert into Goose Bay. And uh, so would you get block time from that flight to Goose Bay and then per diem until you got back to your base? Or the original, oh, here it goes, uh, Newark to, oh, Hong Kong uh, scheduled flight, right? HKG Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Something that's yep. correct. Um, so, um, and, and then I'll continue and then we can discuss this. By the way, I don't buy United Airlines' excuse that cold weather was to blame with door malfunctions. 
Aircraft are subject to far worse temperatures in flight, and up in Alaska, every airman has to deal with similar, if not worse, conditions, and they do it daily. Just wondering, Sean. So, I'm not sure, you know, about the door thing and why they diverted. Um, or I guess maybe after they diverted, that may, may have been a medical divert, and then they had some issues with the doors once they got on the ground in Goose Bay. I don't remember exactly. He does have a, uh, I think he did send a link to the article, but... Anyway, so I think it really depends, Sean, on the airline. I can tell you if that had been an Acme flight, um, we would have been paid for as if we had flown. Well, we have certain contractual guarantees uh, for a certain amount of time or credit time that we get per day of a trip. So whether we made it all the way to Hong Kong or not, we would be guaranteed to be paid five hours and 15 minutes as our current contract per day. So if we're on a four-day trip, you'll be guaranteed to get at least 21 hours or more if you end up flying more or the other credit uh, provisions uh, kick in. So um, you know, it wouldn't be like, oh, you only flew from Newark to Goose Bay and that's all you're going to get paid because that's all you did. But I would imagine there may be some airlines out there that that is actually the case. And then again, there are airlines like Captain Nick's Acme Red, where he is not really paid anything at all like Dana and I are paid. He's paid a salary per month. And I think there are some overrides in there for various things. Correct, sir? Yeah, that's right. We get about three quarters of our pay is just a standard salary, whether you fly or don't. Uh, the remaining quarter, um, you uh, if you get trips and fly them, that makes up your final 25%. But if uh, through um, no fault of your own, the company don't give you enough flights to make it up, you get the, you get the money anyway. So, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a fairly civilized way of mm-hmm. working. Well, obviously it's superior because that's the way – your airline does it. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Strangely similar to I how I, get I, I don't get. I I can't boost my pay with green slips and the like. Yeah, that's sorry. <laughs> that um, yeah, green slips. What are those? That's just so I can't point. get a green slip to save my life now. <laughs> I, it's all to do with seniority. Yeah, everything's seniority yeah. based. Well, you know that's one of the reasons, as many people know, that listen to the show, and I could fly basically every airplane that we have on property at Acme, maybe with the exception of the 777, um, and get paid a lot higher hourly rate and fly the long haul stuff. But being senior on the airplane that Dana and I fly, I can make it up by flying extra and also uh, doing an occasional green slip, which is a, a double pay situation. So I can and make probably more. Like. Yeah. I can probably make more money. I think it's pretty much documented that the people that are making the most money at our airline, Dana can correct me if I'm wrong, are the ones that were flying our airplane that's, because of the way the system is work, it works out. That's correct, but you also tend to work a lot more. Yeah, you do work more. That is true. So, you know, but I like working. I also like seems fair. Work more, get yeah. paid more. I like sure. it. So, or, um, <laughs> or like me who sits on reserve. And no, you've have, been flying a lot lately, Well, it's only because I've been a line. Yeah. And back nice. in, in March, I'll be going back on reserve. I mean, how else are we going to go out there and do uh, meet the, the APGers out there and do all these meetups and stuff? you got to go out there and that, fly. That's true. 
And I'm wondering how many days that Nick has before he I'm retires. I'm going to guess. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, uh, wait, don't tell me. me. Don't tell uh, me. One hundred and fifteen. It's got to be more than a hundred, right? One hundred fifteen. One hundred fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're wa- if you're not watching the video version of this, uh, Nick is holding up from his app the uh, number of days, his last day at work, and the number of days he has left. One hundred and fifteen days. Absolutely. Wait, wait, Can't wait. Where is that calculator, by the way? Because I'd like to put that in and see what I have left. <laughs> <laughs> well, 40,000. Yes, what's, what's, what's the name of the calculator? We can all figure this out. It's, and then it'll it's be called, very for it's no just called a reminder. So it's it's obviously I've got an Apple phone. So uh, Oh, it's just yeah. a reminder uh, app? Yes, it's just called Reminder. No, it's a separate, it's a third-party uh, app a, called Reminder, oh, correct? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I'll have and to get it to It's so a free download. I'm going to get mine, get it right now, and then I will calculate if I, you know, retire at a normal <laughs> expected age. We'll see how many days of working that still is. Well, it'll tell you not only days, but it'll tell you seconds Great. and all just that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> for example, I've just just crossed the 10 million second mark. Mm. Ooh. So I have wow. less than 10 million seconds now. It's just called Ooh. Reminder or Remind Me? No. Because it's just called Reminder. Reminder. It's a, uh, I'll show you what the app looks Reminder. Like. Show me what the, close that. This is fascinating there for the people watching. <laughs> it is. Oh. Yeah, it's just a little sort of, oh, it's, it's not very clear, is it? It's just Back a little up. sort of. Uh, oh, okay, I gotcha. Little alarm clock little, looking. Little alarm clock looking thing with numbers on it huh. and called Reminder. I wonder reminder. if that's not available in the U.S. I mean, oh, maybe here it is. Reminder and it. Countdown. Oh, why can't I find it? I think I just found it. <laughs> I don't want to put this in. Now we can all play the game. Oh, and my. see who's got the no. smallest number. I win. <laughs> smallest who's got what? the smallest oh, I what? I found it. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smallest what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's not what she said. <laughs> Reminder oh, and here countdown. We go. Open. I Get. got. I got it downloaded. Fiam- okay. Well, this is. Fiam- is this really yeah. just wonderful? I'm sure people are just uh, on the. Podcast. I am opening yeah, it up this. right now yeah. as we speak. Yes. We're just going to have the airways, folks. The bishop. Just fast forward if you don't want to hear this. <laughs> I'm sure Jeff will edit this out in post because this is not, not sure. interesting for. <laughs> May not. I guess. Well, let's. I have to, I have to do some math here. Overweight passenger. Let's see. Okay. So am I? Am I forced to um, retire on my exact birthday, or let's the all end assume of that our month? exact I, birthday when we no, turn? No, you, you can't fly it on your birthday. You've got to be the day before because oh, okay. once you've turned that age, oh, that's Christmas Day flies. then for on twenty twenty. Oh wow, that'll be a nice Christmas present for you. <laughs> I only have six thousand and forty-two days. Six thousand forty-two days. Boy. Is that all? Which is, uh, let's see, 16.54 years, 198.57 months, 863 weeks, oi, 863.17, in 6,042.21 days, or 145,013 okay, hours. Okay, <laughs> oh, Hang on a minute. 1,782 yeah. days. 1,782 days for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming 10, right up to 000. that 10K mark. 10, 332 days until 10K to go. <laughs> wow. 
Okay, yes. Well, that's that's not even a marathon, Nick, Steph. Nick, you win. You win. <laughs> One of the few things in life I have. Oh, that's not true. That's not true at all. We can't think of any other. Yeah, but Bush. Friday 13th, seven <laughs> months and six days. Yes. So oh, there you go. I'm thinking, speaking of winning, Nick, I think that you won when some young lady named Jilly look at, looked at you and thought, that guy, he's kind of cute. I think I'm going to go after him. <laughs> and I have some audio that we can play that uh, has the lovely Jilly's voice. What, what do you think about doing that right now? Uh, that's that's a good idea. Hopefully a little discussion afterwards prompted by Josine's uh, feedback from a couple of days uh, of shows ago. We've been talking a lot recently about relationships and what it's like to be the other half of a partnership with an airline pilot. This is a little chat with a lady who understands that job very well and often described it as the hardest job in the Air Force. So, uh, Mrs. Anderson, how did you meet your pilot? I was cycling down the road one day, saw a friend of mine. Uh, there was a guy in the back seat who popped his head out of the window and took a photograph of me. No, you didn't know he was a pilot. So when uh, our relationship developed, uh, how did you feel about uh, the possibility of uh, spending your life with someone in, with a flying career? Initially, it sounded very glamorous. Later, I learned a little more. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> so, hopefully, it didn't uh, it didn't disappoint you too much. Oh no, it wasn't. It was just something I knew absolutely nothing about. I'd had no contact with the military up until then, so it was a mystery. So, what was it like the first time you came up to an RAF mess and spent some time with all these uh, pilots? Oh, that was hilarious. Um, they were all very gracious and introduced themselves and then proceeded to uh, launch into conversation, which I hadn't got a blooming clue what they were talking about. Everything was a bunch of acronyms and they seemed to converse a lot with their hands. Yeah, yes, the flying hands in the bar. That's uh, a well-known fighter pilot trait. Um, so you eventually decided that this bloke was going to make a good partner for life um did you really think much about that or or was this your hormones driving your conscious mind oh i think i'd fallen firmly in lust yes <laughs> okay but did, did any of the practicalities about our life together um occur to you back then i hadn't got a clue main object was to actually be living in the same area Good point. So getting married cured that problem, but now you were fully uh, immersed in uh, the sort of uh, flying world, the military flying world. How did that suit you? Initially, it was something of a shock, uh, quite an adjustment. And of course, we're talking 40 odd years ago. So the, um, the military in those days was still pretty, it was pretty old school. Um, Wives worked if they could get a job. Uh, otherwise, they just sort of hoofed around the country trying to find something to do, keep themselves busy. 
You you were sort of expected, though, to participate in wifely duties that involved the Air Force, yes? Oh, yes, there were the joys of coffee mornings and that sort of thing, yes. And lots of interesting uh, events in the uh, in the mess, which were tremendous fun and a great deal of dressing up and uh, great parties. But you, of course, started off as a career woman. You were a teacher. Yeah, that went down the tube the day I met you, I'm afraid. So how come? Well, it was quite simple. Um, I left college and there was an enormous glut of teachers, so I went into the civil service. Um, that was fine. Uh, when we first got married, I managed to get a transfer. But the posting only lasted six months. Um, therefore, when we moved to Lincolnshire, I was unemployed. At that point, I still didn't drive, and the nearest town had one bus a day to it. So no trains, no other transport. Um, so I was scuppered at that posting. Um, we then moved to Scotland, where I discovered that being a qualified teacher meant absolutely nothing. I would have had to go back to, uh, to college to study for at least another year. And so it went on. Uh, we went to North Wales, where I didn't speak Welsh and therefore couldn't teach. And uh, eventually, uh, after we clocked up about eight or nine years, we produced offspring. So that meant my career was uh, never really going to take off. So um, did you ever, during those first 10 years before children appeared on the scene, ever resent the fact that you weren't able to pursue the career, your career of choice? Well, actually, I I had some weird and wonderful jobs, um, many of which were highly amusing. Um, things like being a tree inspector on a Dutch elm disease project. That was thoroughly good fun. Traipsing over northeast Fife on foot, inspecting trees. I worked in lots of very smart hotels in places like St Andrews and met some amazing people. Um, lots of very posh golfers, uh, people like Bob Hope, just astounding and a great experience all around but did you resent the fact that you weren't able to do the thing that you had trained for no i think i was having way too much fun okay <laughs> all right let's move on to children then i mean uh, up to that point we, we'd had what i would fondly describe as uh, a fun time without many responsibilities enjoying everything that the air force could offer yes Oh, yeah. We had a great time. Um, there was um, a kind of camaraderie on base where, you know, if one squadron of the guys was away, then the other squadron was at home. So if your washing machine broke down, somebody else, a girlfriend whose husband was on the other squadron, he'd come and have a look at it for you and sort things out and vice versa. There was that family relationship that you have within the Air Force, that there's always somebody who'll give a hand. Now, once children appeared, you had more responsibility um, towards your family now and less towards your husband. How did that affect things? Interesting. It, it happened at a very, very busy time. Our firstborn was born in the middle of the uh, QI course. And that was bonkers because if he hadn't arrived on a Saturday, I don't think you'd have been there. Um, I remember you bringing me home from hospital and having to rush straight back to work. 
And if it hadn't have been for the fact that a very good friend happened to meet me on our driveway, I would have been in pieces by the end of the day. As it was, she just fed me a glass of sherry. <laughs> yes, the usual Air Force cure-all. Um, it was tough, uh, and tough for both of us, because I was pursuing a career and was in a particularly difficult place work-wise, uh, and yet you had this babe in arms. How much pressure did you feel under? I didn't feel pressure um, because, as I say, the, the Air Force was very, or the, the girls, the wives, were very supportive of one another, which was the huge advantage of living on the married patch. It meant that if you were having problems, there would be somebody who'd pop around and have a natter or say, oh, yeah, mine did that, and, and this is what I did. Try that. That sort of thing it's, uh, was extremely helpful. But it did mean that you missed out a lot on the early years of your children. I have to uh, agree with that. But there were other things you did. Uh, can you remember times when I wasn't around to take uh, or help with some of the major events like moving house? <laughs> yeah, some of my favorites. Yes, there's nothing quite like moving into a married quarter on your own. Your husband's somewhere else in the world and you're trying to convince uh, the family's officer that you need various things fixing or sorting out. Um, so yes, that, that could be challenging. And now and again, you really had to stand up for yourself. Um, you uh, had to uh, complete entire house moves all on your own. For example, I, I basically left you uh, to move from Australia to the UK with two very young children, which you accomplished entirely on your own, yes? Yes, that, that was a challenge. Yet again, friends were amazing. Um, they, in Australia, helped me clean my quarter, um, helped me move into a, um, a motel for a few days, looked after me, delivered me to the airport. Uh, I then got down to Sydney and stayed with yet more friends who delivered me to the airport there. I uh, managed to fly across to Hong Kong Stayed three weeks with some very good friends there and got my sanity back together. They put me on an aeroplane, which was a trooper, which was very entertaining because everybody else on it, bar one lady with three kids, um, was a young serviceman just on a, an average trooper. There was very little service, very few flight attendants. And I was stuck with a baby who was fast asleep on the seat and a small boy who needed to go to the loo. And there's just no help for it because he appears walking down the corridor and he couldn't get his trousers back on, basically. <laughs> yeah. And I was. And where was I at the time? Oh, you were on a jolly in Malaysia. Well, I was on an exercise in Malaysia, but yes, mm. let's call it a jolly. That's fine. No problem. I think there were a great deal uh, of satay eating and beer swilling things going on as well as the exercise. Well, we don't fly 24 hours a day. Um, moving on, um, <laughs> back to the United Kingdom, and we finally uh, finished up our Air Force career, and I decided to move to the civvy world. Um, did that worry you at all? It worried me when we had 10 months of you being unemployed. That was a bit scary because you'd, you'd made the decision to go. We'd had long conversations about it. And we had to make that decision a full 12 months before uh, it actually happened. In which time um, it had 
transpired that there were very few jobs available in the civvy world, and that was scary. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel then uh, in your role as a partner in our relationship? Um, again, a supportive role, I think. I had to um, basically help you through it as well because you were naturally feeling very nervous about the whole procedure. You'd managed to go through your courses, you'd managed to get your qualifications sorted out, but there was just this gap in the market. There was nobody looking for pilots. And that was a, a very scary point because we left the Air Force with a finite amount of funding and suddenly it was being spent quite fast. In the civvy world, you lost that enormous um, family of, of friends uh, that we used to uh, pitch in and help out in the military world. Did you feel that you're, you're, you were on your own a lot more? Yeah, that was a bit of a shocker. Um, I was so used to having the girls around me who would uh, support me in various things. Um, so, yes, suddenly... I was amongst people who hadn't got a clue what I was doing or what you were doing. They didn't understand things like you don't have weekends when you have a husband who's a long-haul pilot. Um, a lot of things just didn't gel initially. We'd also moved to a place where I knew nobody. Um, so it, it took a lot of adjustments on both our sides as well. You were still working um, and still hadn't been able to get a job as a teacher. Um, well, I did eventually get some part-time jobs, but uh, yes, they were very different. Uh, one was just a shop job to um, to fill in some hours and get a bit of pocket money. Um, but after that, I managed to get some rather more interesting jobs. Like what? Um, well, I uh, went back to the civil service, but working for the Forestry Commission, which was fascinating because I've uh, my basic qualification was uh, a teacher but my main subject being biological sciences so I found that fascinating and I had uh, a great time doing that job but then of course we came to the point where your mum was very poorly and uh, I couldn't keep on dropping my job to run home every time something went wrong there so that was when I had to uh, leave the commission. Looking back though and comparing our first 10 years or so in the civvy world, was it easier or harder than it had been in the military? Harder in some ways. When we were in Australia, there was the lovely situation where you would walk in the door at six o'clock, um, our meal would be on the table by about 10 past, kids would be in the bath by seven o'clock and then we had that lovely evening to ourselves but there, w there was a very set way of doing things and we had a, a lovely routine we'd take the kids off around the air force uh, air force base on our bicycles and show them the kangaroos in the evening so we had a family life when we got back to the uk uh, you had a more responsible job and you were lucky if you actually saw your children during the uh, daylight hours. Certainly you were off at the crack of dawn, very often not home until they were back in bed. So that was the toughest bit for me. Fortunately, though, we lived back in a village I knew, on a base we knew. And uh, so we did okay. 
But once we were moved into the world of the, the civilian pilot, and without any of that support or familiarity, um, how did things change? Um, that got tough because I was in new territory. Um, the kids were growing up fast. They were quite demanding, as small boys will be. You become a taxi service for your offspring. And you still have a house to run, which is rather different to living in an Air Force quarter. So, yes, lots of adapting all the time. You, you are always changing and getting used to the fact that you weren't just down the road on the base. You could be anywhere in the world, really. Um, so if your son walks in the door and his chin's bleeding and he's just basically come off his skateboard, you're the only person who can deal with it and it means you have to organise everything. You make it sound a little like being a single parent. Very like being a single parent on occasions, yeah. And if you're a person not up to taking that kind of load, what pressure would it put upon a relationship? A considerable amount. I had people, wives in the Air Force, who couldn't get a handle on the fact that they had to be responsible for nearly everything in the house, from you know, washing up the breakfast to paying all the bills and dealing with the bank. Suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you have all the responsibilities of the family life because your husband's not in the country, so he's not much use. Well, some might say they're never much use, but let's not go into that. Let's not. Um, so there seems to be uh, emerging quite a definite um, definition of our roles. So I was the pilot. I was going to work and disappearing off. Mm -hmm. And everything that was left at home fell into your lap was your responsibility. All the domestic trivia was mine. Well, you call it that, but we're talking dealing with banks, dealing with the kids and all their medical problems, dealing with tax returns, anything that came <laughs> in through the door, you basically looked after and sorted, yes? Yeah. So you were effectively um, my bank manager, uh, my medic, my um, psychiatric support, uh, the bringer-upper of my children. You made all the decisions uh, with regards to schooling. Uh, you were there at the teacher-parent um, evenings. Um, you were the ones moving the kids around, doing everything. It sounds like more than a full-time job. Oh, it is, yes. Um, and that, I think, is where um, new wives with small children now have even more pressure on them because they're also expected to hold down a decent job. If, use your imagination, if the roles had been reversed and you were the pilot, and what kind of a husband would you be looking for because of your understanding now of what he would have to do whilst you were away on a flight? He would need to be very adaptable, very accepting. I mean, I know one young lady who found it very hard to find a stable relationship because the guys she met couldn't handle the fact that she wasn't around on a Friday and Saturday night to do the normal going out and entertaining. Uh, suddenly they were in a situation where she could be anywhere and they didn't like that. Yeah, okay. Now, um, our relationship with regards uh, us as working people is coming towards an end. Um, 
how do you expect things to change in the next few years? Well, I think it's going to take the best part of a year for you to just come down um, from the, the constant pressure, because let's put, put it very frankly, flying is a tough job. Uh, people imagine that it's incredibly glamorous. They see this chap walking through in a smart uniform with lots of stripes on his shoulders or his sleeves. And they think that's a glamorous job. You're going to all sorts of countries all over the world. What they don't see is what we wives see. Uh, for instance, you'll be away from a trip. I'll have four nights good sleep. You'll fly through two nights and you'll get two nights interrupted sleep in a hotel. Is it any wonder that you come back exhausted? So those sort of pressures are going to be off, which will be fantastic. Um, it'll take you a long time to get used to being at home. With regards to Josine's feedback, um, what of her questions do you think you can uh, answer? Oh my goodness, there's so many. Um, I think, yes, it's definitely better for a pilot to have somebody behind him um, or her supporting them in their role because it is a difficult role. There's no getting away from it. It's a role where you are constantly re-examined on the subject of flying, medically. You have to jump through lots of hoops. Um, your simulators where you've got somebody breathing down your neck all the time. That sort of thing is very hard to deal with. You have to study a great deal, which is something people don't see. Uh, they just assume that you're qualified and that your qualification just carries you through. But actually, things are constantly changing. So you need someone to be able to accept the other domestic pressures. And um, that sort of thing is just going to go away. And it sounds heavenly. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed. I hope hope that uh, opens up food for thought on the show. And many thanks for opening up to us. Okay. What an awesome interview. Unbelievable. Jilly, if you're listening, which I doubt she will be, but you can tell her, Nick. Tucked up in bed. Wow. Thank you for 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 doing that interview inner or conversation with your husband. And uh, that was very enlightening. So you couldn't ask for anybody that's more eloquently spoken as the two of you are, Nick and, and Jilly. You, you both, you do such a great job interviewing, number one. Number two, um, she seems like a fantastic partner for you, as we already know, in that she's very well spoken, very well thought, uh, thoughtful and y'all talk you talk y'all talk real good real good real good not like his bostonians <laughs> you know hey hey you over there get over here will you and that means we love you you know <laughs> you know that means hey it's time to well thanks very much taylor yeah. very very nice I, but i really I wanted to open up an accent at the moment to i think jeff summed that up so, but I, I agree i really wanted to facilitate the uh that we were going to come back to Josine's feedback of uh two or three shows ago uh, and her questions about um, do we think that we could have done our jobs without the support of our spouses and how do we feel that lady pilots manage because they are unlikely to get the same level of support uh, from their husbands in in this situation and also 
how do bachelor pilots cope? Do they get on as well as, as ones in relationships? So I've had a lot of thought about this um, and those things in particular. And I think what it comes down to is that the answer will always depend. It will always depend on the person that you're talking about, because there are some people who are just very naturally independent and may not mesh well in close quarters with other people. And those are the people who, um, you know, stay single or don't have a lifelong committed relationship, but still manage to function just fine. And even with, um, highly demanding jobs, even jobs where they may not be home all the time or may not be home during business hours or have free time during business hours to do the mundane things in life, go to the bank, go to the grocery store. Um, we're kind of fortunate right now in that we live in a world where you can work around a lot of those things. I think that was a, very different even 25, 30 years ago. Uh, for example, I'm thinking of things like I do all of my banking online. The bank I, I use is not even physically in the same state that I'm in. And that's never been a problem because you can do it all on the internet. You can do, you can, you know, uh, deposit checks with a picture uh, of the check and upload that. Um, same with withdrawals. It's, you can send money to people without having to, to physically write a check or go to the post office and mail things. You can set things up for automatic bill payment. Um, you know, the things that are more specifically domestic, I'm thinking of things that are, again, kind of mundane, like, when do you have time to get your laundry done if you're working all day long and you don't have someone else to do it? Well, you work around that too. You know, you start a load in the morning and, you know, you finish up in the evening when you get home. Um, so that way you're not having to uh, do all of it in one big, big chunk. Um, it, it depends on the person. Um, I think it works a lot easier when there's, uh, when you have help. Um, I know that personally. Um, it can be hard to find the right person to, join you in that journey sometimes. And I think those of us who have found that person count ourselves very lucky indeed. So my fraternity brother was just here. Um, I went home to my fraternity reunion back in December. I think I probably talked about those things. And one of the things that I made a very keen observation of is that uh, my fraternity was an international aviation, professional aviation fraternity. And what I made an observation was is that every one of us that was there, all of us, were with our original wives. Now, I don't know that it really speaks volumes to um, the profession. Uh, all of us are pretty much aviators. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting here and listening to Nick's story, and I'm re relating to what they went through as to what I went through with my wife and the fact that every one of my brothers is in the same scenario. Most of us weren't in the military and we had very supportive wives coming through this entire time. Now it, it's, it's a lot different time uh, going forward. There's a lot less, um, well, there's more, a lot more females that are coming into the business and I think I agree with Steph on a, on a lot of things, and that is that it is up to individuals, and, and things are a lot different nowadays on the domestic front. Uh, there are plenty of stay-at-home dads. There, you know, the the, uh, the wives can be the breadwinner. It's just not in any profession specific to aviation. It's look at Doctor Steph's profession. There's a lot of doctors out there that pull you know thirty-six hour shifts or twenty-four hour shifts or whatever, and they're not available to go do what they need 
do so. I think it would apply in in most professions um, that we need to be if we are dependent people upon each other. Um, you know, the, the whole the whole background with Nick and Jilly is it's just amazing. I'm sitting here and listening to what what their background is, and I can relate almost completely exact same background. Although I'm civilian, to the amount of support that Julie's family and Julie have provided me, uh, you know, when I was barely could put gas in the car to uh, get to the airport to go to work as a customer service agent. Now, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, I, I graduated college. Uh, wasn't without her support and became a pilot and you know so on and so forth so very similar uh circumstances and it it, it is really that the partnership that that helps out and just this last week we had the heating go out in the house so i was around i wasn't around i was on overnight so who took care of that julie so uh you know we 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 have very similar uh paths and i think you know josine i was thinking about you when i had to have julie come back home while she's working to take care of the heating unit which she had never done before so it, the airline business lends itself to a lot of time that you spend away from each other as 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 nick and um and Julie, we're so eloquent in, in talking about and the airline business, I think, is a complete different, not a complete different world, but it's a lot different world than military because military can be more like a, a, a regular job where you have the support around you. The airline business in itself is very lonely. Uh, you know, we we fly with different people every time we go to work. It's not like you're in a patrol car with an, another officer and you get to know that family. We're all, we all do the same job, but we don't really spend a lot of time together outside of work. So that is so true. Uh, so many of the people that, uh, uh, well, the company that I work for, our company, Dana, uh, when I got hired, 90 something percent of us were previous military. And Making that transition from the military to the airlines is really difficult for a lot of people. Not, not so much for me because I was flying in the military doing basically airline type flying. But uh, a lot of the folks were involved with, you know, the squadron, um, you know, whatever that uh, term is called, the squadron ethic, uh, the squadron. Um, Nick, help me out. Uh, the uh, Well, the support. I was going to call it a family. The support network yeah. that you get from all being in the same boat and all knowing what's going on. All the wives get together. That that right. <clears throat> excuse me. Support network. Yeah, he's getting choked up, and I don't blame him because uh, really I, I'm is. getting it's choked it's up. Oh, I'm dying. It's a peanut. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of the pond here, Nick. I can't help you over here. I can't. But you know, it's it's uh it's it's tough. I think for a lot of uh, people Where's transitioning to the military Help. from military to uh, civilian airlines because you don't have that same that that family as as you said. That's the best word for it. Yeah, you, you don't have that family. You don't have that uh, network that you can that you can rely upon. When Julie and I came down here, even though it wasn't quite a pilot yet, it it, it was. Uh, it was the fraternity brothers that I, that I left behind that came down to when I came, moved, first moved to Atlanta. Who did I move in with? My fraternity brother who had moved down here at a time. So that that family was there. But becoming a pilot, it, it's I have very few friends that are actually pilots here in Atlanta. And that's you know one of the things about this whole APG community thing 
is so important for so many of us is that you all are family to all of us. And that's, uh, you know, because we have the same kind of uh, passion about aviation and uh, we really do care for each other. And that's an important thing to have that kind of support. That's exactly right, Jeff. Now, in the military, it's got when we were in the military, it's, it's changed since then, to be truthful. Um, all the families lived in the same sort of uh, housing estate. We all had married quarters. Everyone was in the same boat. And uh, uh, we all knew what each other was doing, even if it was another squadron, so a squadron of detachment. Everyone would be there to help out the wives who were missing their husbands for several weeks or whatever was going on. Um, in the civilian world, it, that doesn't naturally exist. So you have to create one whether it be your church, uh, whether it be uh, the mums at the school gate, whether it be the dog walkers you get meet every day, whether it be the clubs you join or whatever, or in our case, the APG community. Now, we're a pretty remote community because we're spread all around the world, but we know wherever we go, we're going to meet listeners. And we know those listeners often get to know each other. So we're just another form of community. And I think one of the things that you need as a pilot when you are away from home so much uh, is support for your uh, loved one at home um, and that they don't feel that they're they're isolated um, because they're continually left to manage everything and the one thing that um, Dana mentioned is the one thing that we didn't talk about because you can bet your bottom dollar uh, if there's going to be something blow up in the house the roof is going to cave in some drama the pipes are going to burst some drama is going to happen I'm never at home to deal with that it's always Jilly who has done that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't even know who that. to call. Always, exactly. Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, you call Jilly. Who are you going to call? Who do Who do I need yeah, to call? Well, it, to be To be absolutely truthful, Dana, you're right. When When I've got one of these problems and I'm going, oh, geez, I need a, a checkbook. Um, I go, uh, 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 Jilly, uh, who, who are we banking with nowadays, and and how do I get hold of a new checkbook? So. She has been an absolute rock for me, uh, and she can only do that often with support from other people, and because we're the ones rarely around to give it. Can it, just going back to some of Josine's um, specific feedback and commentary for a moment, you know whether because um, I think there was a bit about uh, postulating that um, couples, uh, specifically committed couples, um, for one of the the partners is an airline pilot and being in that relationship led to more basically being necessary for for that to to function i would say that while it may not be necessary i think that it does create um a better environment and a better um What's the word I'm looking for, really? It, it just makes it a whole lot easier for the person who's away from home if you can have that person, um, if you can have a partner with them who's at home all the time and able to take care of all of those things like Nick and Dana and I have been talking about. So I, I think in in what Josine was trying to, to drive at, um, I'm sorry, I have a snoring puppy on my lap now, too, which I is don't, distracting me horribly. I don't know if you we, can hear we, we can't hear him. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely snoring. Um, we assumed it was you, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that um, while it may not be necessary, I think it creates potentially 
a more successful pilot in the long run for oh successful and safer successful safer um yeah when you, and when probably you're not, happier when you're not worried about domestic issues back at home when somebody's there to support I, yeah i can see that yeah you 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 sleep better you uh, prepare for flights better because you're not dealing with everything else that you and your few days off you've got someone else in the team who's going to do that for you mm -hmm. uh, and certainly help out and so, which allows you to concentrate your mind on your job and we know just how important that is you know back before the days of um, cell phones and the immediate access and whatever that we have uh, in this day and time my wife said linda said i'm not going to call you because if because it's it's difficult because i have to call the hotel and then i have to ask for your room and then i have a lot of times i have to leave a message i'm not sure if you're going to be sleeping or not i'm not sure what your schedule's like and I'm afraid that if I try to contact you while you're on a trip, you're going to think that there's something going wrong at home. And I know that you have a very high pressure job and you don't need that added stress. So she basically said, if you ever hear from me while you're on a trip, assume that it's not a good thing happening at home. That's now you don't ever hear from her anymore no well more. now i don't hear from her at all <laughs> i was trying to put it in a nice way and we live in the same house yeah. but do bam yeah. rim shot uh but uh anyway uh but again that was the days before the you know the 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 uh, access that we have with uh cell phones and everything else it, that's that's very true but that access can be a double-edged sword in that when you do hear there's problems it can be incredibly frustrating i've had crew that have had domestic disasters at home they find out about it down route they can't get any home any quicker but you know it's just preying on their minds right. for the next 12 14 24 hours or whatever it is until they do get home and sometimes uh, you know it's a bit like the the guys that go away on uh, nuclear submarines for long patrols under the ocean, they're allowed to sign a piece of paper which says, I don't want to receive new news from my family while I'm down here. Because if you do get news that something, there's been a terrible disaster, th there's no way in God's earth are they going to come back and cut their patrol short just for one guy and his disaster at home. So all that's going to happen is that it's going to be a nightmare for you. And it might exist. adversely affect their performance or ability yeah. to do their job in the meantime. For certain. And you for can't certain. change anything about exactly it. Exactly right. Nope. Nope. What a great discussion. Thank you, Nick, for, again, taking the time to, uh, you know, talk with your lovely spouse. And, uh, again, please tell Jilly that we really did appreciate her insight. That's very kind of you. Thanks very much. I'll pass that on. And, and, and I really, thanks, Josine, for and Josine, question. And Josine. Or, yes, for that awesome piece of feedback that has generated so much discussion. In the lust, very important discussion. I'd like to hear about the lust there, Nick. <laughs> yeah, almost came as a surprise to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I, I thought I missed her the first time. What? Now, now, big question. She's going to expect you to spend a year trying to get acclimated to being home. How are you guys going to get along being around each other all <laughs> I was the time? Thinking to myself, all the time. Wow, yeah. this is not going to be a good situation for Jilly. 
I'll relax. I'll be down the bowling green. No problem at all. And you're going to be over here in the States. So we're going to, Nick and I are going to do an RV yeah, tour of the United yeah. States. Yes, yes. I see a lot of travel yeah. in your future. Hey, That'll Jeff, I figured out exactly. something, by the way. What? Speaking of RV. Yeah. Remember, now we have the ability to move part of our vacation. Yeah. And drop a trip. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do in July as long as I can do it. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Then look forward to seeing you the entire week. I'm hoping. Yeah. Yes. Liz says Damn. follow up interview in a year for Nick and Jilly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that will be an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. That might be yeah, in the psychologist's office. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that might be yeah. a family we'll counseling. counselor. Marriage yeah. counseling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not funny. <laughs> no, okay. it isn't because <laughs> we, we, we all know you guys will be fine. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, let's uh, move on. Shall we? To uh, item number four. This is an interesting one. Uh, this is from Gla- Glaucus, right? Steph, please help me. Glaucus. Thank you. That's what I said. Uh, hi, team. <laughs> I understand that sometimes airlines go the extra mile to please customers. But this is, in my humble view, a bit too much. And then he gives us a link to a news.com.au um, website article about a flight attendant. Well, I'll talk about it in a second. Have you ever experienced something like this? Having to do something for a customer or a passenger that you really didn't want to do, but did it anyway. Thanks for all your great work. It's nothing but a pleasure to listen to you every week. Cheers. G man, Glaucus. And he said, P.S. The dream is still alive. I'm just working out the best way to go about it. Thank you to the wonderful APG community for all their support. We're here for you, Glaucus. We really are. And thank you for sending in this feedback. Um, okay, here we go. You ready? Flight attendant says overweight passenger forced her to wipe his bottom. A shaken flight attendant has told how a man demanded she carry out a disgusting task for him while he was in a plane toilet. An overweight passenger aboard a Taiwanese airline uh, flight forced uh, flight attendants to remove his pants so he could use the toilet. Then, well, that's bad enough, but then uh, they needed to wipe his bottom. Backside. Backside. Thank you. Mm -hmm. As he, oh, I, I don't remember reading this part, but as he moaned in pleasure, according to reports. <laughs> wow. A flight attendant for Eva Air, a Taiwanese airline, which only implies, uh, employs female cabin crew, described the crappy duty the passenger subjected her and two of her colleagues to aboard the Los Angeles to Taipei flight on Saturday, according to Focus Taiwan. The New York Post reported that the man who was confined to a wheelchair told the flight attendants he needed assistance to use the lavatory about two hours into the flight. I felt that as a flight attendant, this is a quote, uh, I felt as a that as a flight attendant, removing a passenger's underwear was beyond the scope of my responsibilities. I agree. I agree with that. The flight attendant told a news conference where she was accompanied by reps from the Taiwan Flight Attendants Union. I told him we couldn't help, but he started yelling. He told me to go in there immediately and threatened to relieve himself on the floor, she said. The flight attendant 
um, fronted a news conference to describe her traumatizing experience. As the passenger's genitals were now exposed, one of my colleagues brought a blanket, which I used to cover his modesty, she continued. But he very angrily slapped my hand away, saying he didn't want it and only wanted me to remove his underwear so he could use the toilet. The man also insisted that they keep the door open because otherwise he couldn't breathe. So anyway, this guy is a little overweight, uh, 199 kilograms. Uh, 437.8 pounds. What? How do you even fit in the lavatory? Holy moly. A kilogram is 2.2 pounds. Wow. Well, that's that's only twice my weight. (laughs) It's almost twice my weight. Then he refused to leave the bathroom. yeah. And Depends how tall he was, I suppose. If he was a short chap, he would be quite wide. So he refused to leave the bathroom unless they wiped his backside after he finished his business. Okay, so that's enough of this. Um, yeah, that is way more than It certainly above is beyond, beyond the scope of a flight attendant's uh, responsibilities. Yeah. And I think they would have been with it, well within the right to... I mean, I I don't work for this airline, so I don't know what's expected. But um, yeah, I, I would have if I were in their position, I think I would have politely refused his request and yeah, told him I'm to sorry, figure it out on his well, own. Well, we've got we've got uh, Owen in the in the chat room. Uh, we know he's a flight attendant, so I'm just curious to know what he would do. I'm, I'm sure he'll reply eventually, but do carry on. Right. And, and Max Flight makes a very good point. He says, if you have a medical condition that requires that kind of help, don't you think that you'd have some kind of arrangement in place in advance? Oh, yes. You're in, in on my outfit, you're required to fly with an attendant if, uh, if that's the severity of your disability. Right. Apparently, this guy is a, um, somebody who flies a lot on this airline, and he was known to the flight crew as being someone that you know, requires this kind of thing. And, uh, and it looks like he, you know, takes advantage of it, um, more and more. I don't, there's more to it, I think, than just having an issue where he couldn't do this himself. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are people who have to do this, uh, professionally, whether you've got, you know, if, if you're disabled or you're, uh, and you have to have a carer in, but this is not the usual duties you would expect of a flight attendant. No, this is, you know, as we've said so many times, and I'm not sure if we're going to say or cover this in today's podcast or not. I think we might be able to do it. Uh, but the the role of the flight attendant is not to do this sort of thing. They're here. They're there. They're there for your safety. Exactly. Help you get your your. I don't know how to say this without. No, I'm not going to say. Offending millions of flight attendants. Yes. <laughs> uh, to get your ASS off the airplane safely, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and not to wipe Whether it. Whether it's being wiped or not. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's, exactly. that is irrelevant at that point. Yes. It does not matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see some of the uh, <clears throat> more seasoned flight attendants be able to do that. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Good point. So, I you know, it kind of been so, so I'm, I, I'm fully on the flight attendant side here. Oh this yeah, is, this is yeah. No, I'm fir- firmly in the camp of um, this passenger was um, 
Whether he needed assistance or not, this was inappropriate. Oh, very. Completely inappropriate. Very inappropriate. And the airline should not tolerate this, and the flight attendant should not tolerate it. No. No, no we're I mean, not in the medical field. This is Even in a- the medical field. In some instances, this would be inappropriate. This this is probably going to affect this flight attendant for the rest of her life psychologically. I hope not. But I mean, um, you know, this 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 is a traumatic thing. I'm sure. Yeah. And Speaking hof- of tra- and hopefully he took a shower at some point. <laughs> Speaking of traumatic things, <laughs> we're going to skip a lot to ask there, Dana. We're, we're going to sk- we're going to skip to eleven. Because it kind of has something that kind of ties in a little bit. Uh, Sean and Robert both sent uh, links to this article from The Drive. Uh, let's see. So um, a sister airline, very similar to Acme, Delta Airlines, answers the big question. Do planes have in-flight fart filtering technology? <laughs> My airplane. Um, so uh, this is <laughs> this is not your average customer support interaction. Kyle is the West Coast editor for the Drive. He recently re- oh that's something I'm right. okay. Everybody everybody farts. It's one of those comforting truisms in life until you're crowded into an enclosed space with 300 other people, forced to breathe in some choice flatus. A Delta Airlines frequent flyer recently raised that very concern to the company on Twitter. And surprise of surprises, whoever runs the account took it seriously enough to provide the answer we've all been waiting to hear. The short answer, yes, there is a fart filter on planes. Sort of. The flatological story started off when a Twitter user named DJ Rankin posted a frightening statistic claiming passengers expel around 368 liters, about 13 cubic feet of gas, during the average flight and pleading with Delta to say there's some sort of fart filter on board. That number is, in fact, a little bloated. It comes from this non-scientific study by The Sun last year, and it's their guess at how much gas that 525 passengers on a fully loaded Airbus A380 would pass in total during a 13-hour flight. Still, the visual of 13 cubic feet of pure fart is an arresting one. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the article continues and they talk about the fact that the uh, representative from Delta Airlines says, well, you know, airplanes have uh, these filters and uh, there's a certain percentage of the air that is re, uh, what would it be? The Circulated? Word? Recirculated. No, yes. it's fresh. It's, it's introduced into the system. Yeah. Yes. So it, it depends on the airplane. Um, the airplane that Dana and I fly, I most of the air is not recirculated. Uh, there's a percentage of it that is, but uh, there are some more modern airplanes that have a higher volume of air that is recirculated, but it goes through some uh, filtering systems, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think that the best way to handle this sort of situation, I think, is for people to wear the kind of underwear that has a fart filter inside of it. <laughs> Hang on. Mm-hmm. Shredders are underwear designed to filter those unpleasant odors when you let rip. So if you suffer from flatulence and want to keep the air fresh, these are definitely for you. 
And to do the testing for us, we thought we'd bring in a professional. In fact, the you gotta professional, watch this video. the only flatulist in the world, Mr. Methane. Welcome to our studio. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Jason. Great to meet you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the uh, the opening, so to speak. If you could just squeeze into these, please. Squeeze into them. My okay. Okay. They are <laughs> a small. But oh, they're a stretchy. small, aren't they? Right. So, okay. Hell, right. Um, they're like cycling shorts almost. They, are, they look nice really good, though, man. To stop the air escaping. Shreddies use an activated carbon panel made from charcoal treated with oxygen to absorb and trap the odours from flatulence. I'm quite impressed with these because normally they, they, you, you get these things that look like big incontinence nappies and these are quite stylish. They are very stylish. Yeah, I could take a date okay. out with these on. Oh, I'll just have to part Maybe not do that on the date though. Just no, no, I'll try not to. So, Jason, the idea is... It's <laughs> Stop the smell. Three, two, one. <laughs> you got to watch the video. Ooh. Jason, you're down the right end to test whether the How are we doing, Jason? have actually filtered. No, the there's smell. no odour whatsoever. Wow. No odour at all. Maybe a Nothing. little bit. Maybe a Nothing. No. No. Oh, we've done it, yeah. So, there you go. Shreddies. And I think they're the, not the only brand of uh, carbon filter lined undergarments that you can wear to mm. filter your gaseous mm. whatever expulsions <laughs> expulsions <laughs> yeah, expulsions i was gonna say yeah, i was gonna, I was gonna say outward, word, but outward. i thought no i can't because i'm gonna Outlet? have to yeah help yeah so well, I don't know. Raise your hand if you've never um, broken wind on an aircraft oh, before. Yeah. I mean, I, never. No. <laughs> oh, well, how about in a lift? <laughs> in a lift. <laughs> yeah. As in the uh, the thing that takes you up and down floors in a building, or in the yeah. car service right. that and takes you from point A to point no, B. Okay. No, how about up and down a building? How about those of you who have been on a, on a date elevator? <laughs> on a date. Ah. Look, I, I tell you, you've you've got to find the clip of uh, Billy. Connolly, the famous uh, Scottish uh, um, comedian, talking about trying to get down with his girlfriend in the cinema, realizing he needed to break wind. And then uh, he didn't want to do it beside her, so he had to rush off to the toilet. And in doing so, he had to pass in front of 20 people in the same row. <laughs> Uh, and he said, well, you don't ever point your genitals at someone like that when you're trying to squeeze past, do you? So you point your bum at them. Uh. And he said, of course. <laughs> 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 anyway, it's a very, very funny piece. So uh, he also mentions the darling royal family, who I love very much, and how they've all had a special operation to prevent them doing this because they don't. Really? Mm. It's called a yeah, fartendectomy. Yeah. <laughs> could be worse, could be a Dutch I, oven. I have more to add to this conversation, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a crew log on it, because I haven't done one in a very long time. Yes, it will be the most to. inappropriate crew log ever submitted. Oh, but. and it will be the most popular one ever, too. <laughs> absolutely. It has absolutely nothing to do with aviation. That doesn't matter. Um, you will double the Patreon. It's a little bit of a product review, we'll, just, we'll say that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> have oh, some beans first. Stuff. Please do. We'll have more patrons than we can shake a stick <laughs> at if you do that. I actually have a photograph of, remember Gary Donato? We've had him on the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. I have a photograph of him taking the oxygen mask out of the holder and putting it on his face because it was so bad. 
would I let because go? of you? Because of me. Uh, Dana. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Yeah. Speaking Dana, of output, Dana. I think one of the uh, puppies here is trying to tell me that it is his turn to participate. Well, and I'm going to be right back. Go do that. Actually, we'll, it might we'll be a good time for a good potty break. Okay. I, it's a I, technical I, pause. Yeah, let's do a potty break. So we can all go and break wind. Yes. Reagan writes in, says, there are not many good outcomes for a plane at the end of its life, but come on, poor bird. This would be a little too eerie for me. Have a great day. Reagan from Chico, California. Ooh, the home of Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada. Um, so he sends a link to CNN.com. Uh, no, the, the brewing company. Brewing company. Oh, brewing. Yes. Company. Okay. Yes. I just want to. Also, Bills River, North I Carolina. I just want to sound. Yes. I want to sound ditzy for one second, so that's perfect. Ah, okay. Um, but it is a mountain range. That's that's true. Uh, and it was that many many thousands of years before Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Now, if this was not Bahrain, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Oh no. Go ahead. We want to hear your insight. Tell us what it is that we're talking about here. Well, Dana. it's right up my alley. Another, another little side thing that I like to do is scuba dive. And the good use of a, uh, a old aircraft that is put to use as a artificial reef under the water as a dive exhibit for an, an attraction for divers to come dive. But it's all the way over in Bahrain. So well, a, I'll just make a trip to Bahrain. Field I mean, trip. How long could that take? Oh, it's far. I mean, I'm freaking out about going away in a month and being on an Hawaii? airplane for 10 hours. I'm freaking out about it. Yeah, I'll double really that am. at least to get over no, 10. No, at no, least. No, no. no? Bahrain? No? 15? Nah. Well, from Atlanta, maybe, yeah, maybe 14, 15. Yeah. 14. Well, I probably shouldn't be telling the world I'm going away. Oh, yeah. And I think you've me, already told us. Let me give uh, his address. So no, nope. don't do that, please. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so this article to which we're referring is uh, the Persian Gulf country of Bahrain is hoping to attract divers from around the globe, like Dana, with a new underwater theme park, an expansive diving site spanning 100,000 square meters with some unusual features. What's the most unusual feature? Well... It's a sunken Boeing 747. Okay, Nick, your turn. I can't think of a better use. <laughs> oh, there it is, folks. We knew that. There one. it is. Far be it from me. <laughs> that was the tee up. Yeah, so yeah. they're using a Boeing 747 as a an artificial reef. You do know, Nick, why they're using a 747, not an Airbus, correct? Because well, it's far the, more durable. Seven sinks better. No, because it's far more durable. <laughs> it will hold up to being under the no. water, unlike an Airbus. No, it won't. No, it won't. <laughs> it, it'll 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 collapse into a heap of rubbish. <laughs> <Yeah>. in- <laughs> Not okay. Well, we better get out there you. to dive it before that happens. What do you think, Dana? <laughs> I think so. 
<laughs> All right. There you go. Actually, that would be a great trip. If hey, you want to go, a, Dana, just There's a picture know. here, um, if you scroll down, of uh, some that's air some buses. Great pictures. Different, different aircraft types being turned into. Yeah. So it's being repurposed. Things. It's not just the Boeings that are being used as artificial reefs or other things. Looks like Boeing. I mean, Airbuses are used as well. Looks like an a, a A300 yeah. that I see well, in one of these. I listened to a fabulous uh, a documentary podcast the other day all about the um, the structures underneath the oil rigs that are just off uh, the Californian coast and how uh, they promised that they were going to get rid of all these oil rigs. That's quite a posh area uh, of uh, around L.A. What would that be? Um, really expensive houses looking over the coast. Oh, like Malibu? Promise they... Around that area, oh, I would guess. Laguna Beach. Yeah. Um, but they, the uh, wildlife people are now saying, ooh, hang on, the uh, the structures underneath these oil rigs have become a habitat for thousands of endangered uh, species. They're in- incredibly rich in sea life. So, no, you can't get possibly get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do then? <laughs> I just don't let know. Them, let them be. Eventually, they'll know. just... Uh, <laughs> Disintegrate and yeah. I don't know, maybe. So, not. so these uh, these man-made reefs are, are common and can be very useful for uh, you know for sea life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, we're. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with all those seat buckles, though. What the hell? I, I, don't I mean, know. you say all those pictures ever, of things. There's have you ever been to like an aviation scrapyard where everything's like piled up by part, basically? So you get like a bunch of like seat cushions or like you know seat buckles or. Just doors, like a line of doors. It's weird. I don't. I know think what they do these either. airplanes might have just been repurposed and not all these things. They, not they probably do reuse some of those or recycle some of those things. All right, that's enough of that. Let's move on to number six. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anthony has concern about Bluetooth. He says, "Oh." You, you use your toothbrush more often, uh, yeah. Anthony. That that would be green tooth. That would uh, well, sounds okay. like a root canal coming up. <laughs> oh, don't don't suck your pen. <laughs> that gives you blue tooth. There there was a discussion about GPS receivers, and it was suggested that there were some external receivers that connected via Bluetooth that might improve reception in the cabin. I've been on several flights over the past year, mostly Air Canada, Canada, I believe. Let me try that again. Air Canada. Wow. Why is it so hard, it hard much for me better. to say? Mostly Air Canada? Canada. Air Canada. Canada sound. Air Canada. Uh, where we were the expressly warned as part of the briefing that mobile sending and receiving functions had to be disabled, but more particularly that absolutely no Bluetooth devices such as headphones or keyboards could be used. The issue, of course, is that for Bluetooth to connect, on one side of that conversation has to be transmitting. That seems to be the part that causes concern. Does anyone know whether Bluetooth really presents a risk? And this is from Anthony Tibbs. And I think that early on when we were introducing all these electronic devices into airplane cabins, that they specifically, at least my airline, said, oh, you know, if you have a like a noise reduction headset, you can't have the Bluetooth on. I think that's gone by the mm-hmm. wayside. And I don't think that's something that's a restriction on. I, I know it's not a restriction on Acme, and probably the, not 
on others. Yeah, within the past two years, any commercial flight I've taken on a number of different airlines, no one has asked for the Bluetooth um for Bluetooth settings to be turned off on any yeah. type of device. And I actually usually do use Bluetooth headphones now, and no one has ever asked me to turn them off or right. stop using them. I don't think it's a risk, honestly. Even our electronic flight packs, uh, which are, in my case, an iPad, when you hit the uh, flight mode, it does not turn off the Bluetooth. So the Bluetooth mm -hmm. and also the Wi-Fi continues to transmit. Yeah. This only turns off the telephone cellular uh, radio portion. Um, so, uh, no, I don't think it uh, – personally, I don't think it – represents a risk but of course you have to respect the policy of the airline yes. you're flying sure with. if asked to turn it off yep no problem that's a rule follow Do the it. instructions yep whether it whether it makes any difference makes or not that's yep. the rule i agree uh so you're good to go with the bluetooth unless you're flying on an airline that says don't use it um thank you anthony for that uh mark writes in uh, pertaining to Larry's feedback, flying with the gear down throughout the whole conversation, I kept thinking, wouldn't there be a landing gear overspeed warning? And none of you guys brought that up at all. It's hard for me to believe that on a modern commercial airliner, there would be no oral voice alarm or visual warning light besides the normal gear down light that would warn you that you're flying too fast with the gear down. Is this true? Are there no other warnings except the normal gear down light? Mark Fillet or Fillet Altergott is who asks the question. And as far as I know, I don't think any airplane I've ever flown on has any kind of a warning system that lets you know that you have your gear down and you're going too fast because it should be really, really obvious. <laughs> But I don't know. What do you guys think? And gals. I, I had a good look a... through all the warning list on my uh, in my manuals, and I could not find one for leaving the gear down a bunch for forgetting to put, to put them it down. down. Yes. Yeah, but not nothing to warn you or remind you to bring them up. Even small general aviation aircraft with retractable gear typically have warning to let you know that if you're flying low and slow, um, you, if you have not put your gear down, usually makes kind of a high pitch, really annoying noise. And you know immediately, oh, yes, no, I don't have the gear down. Um, but never for putting the gear up if you've forgotten to do that. But it so, does make you know, a lot of noise. In my experience, there's so much darn noise with the gear down and you're going really fast that you can't really think straight. And you don't even, you know, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, th think of it. Even when we, when we say accelerating with the wing landing lights out there. How annoying mm -hmm. that gets! It's that's a reminder, just like the landing gear would be a reminder. You know, you, when you have them down, it becomes it stays very noisy, very annoying, and uh, it's it's almost like its own reminder to uh, pull them up. So, not yeah. not going to forget it. And unless you're in the of middle of interest, yes. Sorry, of interest, uh, the hydraulics to our gear is disabled thirty knots above the maximum speed. Oh. So hmm. that, uh, you know, uh, it, a lot of aircraft, um, I know the 7.4, for example, um, when you've got the gear up, you can then put the 
the handle into a kind of a neutral position, which isolates the hydraulics to prevent it accidentally coming down again unless you want it to come down. The off mode, yeah. Well, an RC just happens automatically on an airspeed switch. The hydraulics to the gear is isolated at 280 knots. Do you know what our maximum retraction speed is, Jeff? Maximum retract? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm putting you on the spot right now. Yeah, it's something you you well, that's, that's pretty mean. <laughs> it's, it's two different speeds. It's, I'll give you a hint: two fifty and three hundred. Okay, retractions maximums two fifty maximum and three hundred yeah. extension. Yeah, but it's really noisy if you put them out um, at three hundred knots. Yeah, very noisy. But uh, and in our airplane, Dana, um, that we don't go. I mean, these the uh, Boeing's, as Nick just mentioned. You, you go up and then you go to the center position off uh, to re- remove any hydraulic pressure to the uplock mechanism of the uh, because it's the uplocks are there in gravity mode and they're going to, you know, keep the gear from coming down. Uh, but the mad dog, I, I guess the pressure stays on the whole time. It does. It's a, it's a positive yeah. pressure system. Yeah. Um, but I guess the answer to uh, the question is that, uh, yeah, um, there's no warning system that lets you know that the – what's funny is uh, Dana and I and maybe Nick can um, relate to this as well, is that sometimes if you're in the simulator – and you have something I can going too, on, actually. and you can too, Steph. Okay. Well, it was I was with you for that specific uh, occurrence. Really? Well, you were watching. I think myself and Captain L. But anyway. Oh, okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. there, there are times when something else is going on that distracts you from what is going on with your gear system, and I know that I can. I, I mean, I can say I've seen this several times in the simulator. You have like an engine failure or something like that. Something happens that distracts you from the normal routine positive rate gear up thing, and you're flying along and you're thinking, why is the airplane acting so sluggishly? Why is it not accelerating? Why why is it so noisy? <laughs> and it's usually in the simulator because a lot of the time in the simulator, you don't have the same noise that you would have in the airplane to kind of give you those cues. And, and then finally, you get to the point where you're coming in for a landing and you go, okay, gear down, and then... Somebody reaches for the gear handle, and it's already the down. gear handle's already down. Yeah, and go ooh. In the real yes. world, it'd be a lot more obvious. <laughs> yes, it's it's yeah. more obvious yeah. in the real world, but in the simulator, I mean, I don't. You've probably seen that, Dana. Yes, in I the, have in the simulator. Not 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 that you did it. But I've never done that before. Ever. Ever. No, nope. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> none, none of us have. I've Definitely heard, none I, of us have. People I, have told me that that happens. Not me, of course. I would never do that. Yeah, interesting. And definitely never happened with a bunch of other, you know pilots watching and the sim instructor and no one realizing it <laughs> yeah never happens no never happens it could not possibly happen stuff no. <laughs> uh, uh let's see here um andrew writes in he's from uh, andrew from huntsville oh i think we i had a nice korean dinner with andrew um i lost comms in the helicopter once and had to have my passenger google the correct squawk code because like these guys, I'd forgotten and didn't want to make everyone think I'd been hijacked, <laughs> I suppose. This is a little remind. That's a nice thing about a helicopter. You can probably still have cellular reception and you can Google yeah, it. Probably. 
you know, for the rest of us, we normally can't. Anyway, uh, he says, I suppose this is a little reminder that our knowledge as pilots, especially low timers like me, is perishable and we should always be learning. Oh, that's so true. We're always learning. Even those of us who have flown for 30 or 40 years, we're still learning. Um, he relates to a an aviationsafety.net uh, article, an Aeroflot flight 1515, a Boeing 737-800, made an emergency landing at an airport in Russia after a passenger attempted to hijack the aircraft. The flight had departed Surgut at 9.55 UTC while en route to Moscow. At flight level 340, a passenger claiming to be armed ordered the flight crew to divert to Afghanistan. At 1022 UTC, the pilots squawked 7600, lost communication squawk, on their transponder. The aircraft landed safely at Kontimanisk at 1117 UTC. After landing, security forces stormed the plane and detained the man. He was in a state of intoxication. He was not armed. But how did they know that they were being hijacked? Because they were using the 7600 squawk, which is lost lost calm, not hijacking. Maybe they were able to. (laughs) Nice job. Yeah. Maybe they were were able to like convey that on the radio or something. Yeah. Maybe. Because I'm surprised that they knew. To, to storm the plane and detain a man. Yeah, they must have still been communicating despite their figured out squawk code. It's not a lost, lost comm. <laughs> no, a, no, no, no. You want yeah. the one that's for yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Hijacking. Anyway, I mean, there's only three emergency three. squawk codes. It's not. Well, it's not that's just too the much. Come on. No, no, no. <laughs> but here's here's the thing about that. You know, it's it's one of those things that. It, I can see where people have a problem with it because they are close to one another. So if you don't yeah. have a good way to remember it, um, it might be difficult. So to Steph, I'm Steph, giving Steph, people the Steph, benefit Steph, of the doubt. Because tell us the do you way. have a way, Steph, to uh, remember? Uh, how I, I do. Okay. Uh, uh, what? So if you're having an emergency yeah. at 7700, so 7700, yeah. the second number is the one that changes in all of these. So the seven. Um, if you think about what the number seven looks like, it has a straight line and then it goes down. So that means we're going down. Right, 7,700. Crashing. <laughs> Crashing. <laughs> okay. 7,600. The six is the one that changes. That's your lost comms. If you turn the six around, it kind of looks like a microphone. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 7,500. 70, yeah. The five is kind of this squiggly, you know, all over the place. Yeah. That's your hijacking. Like we're all over the place. <laughs> I love you that. Won't, you won't forget it. it. No, yeah. Mm. No, I won't forget it for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but as someone who sometimes has trouble with things like that, where there, there are a series of numbers or a series of images or a series of ideas that are somewhat closely related, but with very distinct meanings, occasionally I get hung up on those. So I can understand where that happens to people. So I'm the kind of guy that we have all these acronyms and like things, all these letters stand for certain things. Mm-hmm. I can never remember the acronym. The part. acronym. Or if I do remember the acronym, I don't know. You can't remember the, the original. <laughs> yeah. doesn't work for me. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But oh. I, I, that one's always stuck with me. So. Okay. And I can take no credit for, for thinking that up. I did not come up with that. Thank God. Um, I'm not 
<laughs> sure who did, but my very first <laughs> audio credibility would have would have so. disappeared into a bucket, Steph, if you thought of that. It, I think it's great. It I'm going to stand by it. It is awesome. Thank right. you, Steph. Well, D says. 75, a guy with a knife. It doesn't really rhyme, but 76, need a radio fix. That's pretty good. 77, going to heaven. That works, too. I like that one. Okay. It's just a 75, guy with a knife. It would be a knife. Guy with a knife. Uh, what's a knife? 75, uh, guy with like a knife. <laughs> 75. You got to use your imagination here. Oh, right. A little yeah, bit of yeah. creativity, Nick. A little bit of creativity. Well, actually, the archaeo correct pronunciation five. of five is five. 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 Yep. Five. Correct. Nine. Well uh, done. Niner, man. Niner. Five. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, hello there, APG crew. Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and of course, the lovely Dr. Steph. This is Gustav from Sweden calling in with some voice feedback. And as always, I would like to start by saying thank you for your work and for everything that you do in producing such an amazing podcast every week. I'm so grateful for it. and It makes a big difference in my life. My first question is related to uh, management and leadership, because as pilots, you are managers and you are leaders. And I hear Kevin Dana talk about uh, setting the tone in the cockpit every now and then. I, and I find this concept quite interesting, especially since I'm a manager and leader too. And I've been reflecting on my own leadership and how I set the tone among my coworkers. Um, and now I would be very interested to hear if you could elaborate a little bit more about this concept of setting the tone and how you work with setting the tone in your cockpit and, and uh, how you create a good atmosphere in the cockpit and what you do to do it and how you... Um, how you deal with someone that perhaps doesn't have that good tone. Uh, I think that would be really interesting to hear. And then secondly, I'm a Formula One fan, just like Captain Jeff. So I was wondering if uh, Captain Jeff has a favorite Formula One team and a favorite Formula One driver. Anyway, thank you so much for everything you do and keep up the good work. Thank you, Gustav, for the question regarding setting the tone tone in the cockpit tone um as far i'll I'll answer the uh, formula one thing first Uh, i'm still new to formula one and everything seems to be like really changing rapidly between last season and this next season but um i've always um been partial to rooting for the british unfortunately um driver lewis hamilton um the mercedes Mm. team uh, he seems to be an awfully talented young man, and uh, I'm always impressed with that. And I also like the um, the Haas team, which is the only American Formula One team. I, I don't think they have any American drivers at this point. But uh, so I know, again, things are really changing pretty rapidly. And um, I, I'm, that's all I can say is that I like Lewis Hamilton. And uh, I'd love the Williams team to get back into it. They used to be uh, such a fantastic team, and they've really fell, fallen by the wayside. Yeah, they have. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, which is unfortunate. Do they have any good hopes for? I know that you know things are being jostled about. I mean, uh, Raikkonen is uh, with what Renault now this year, and um, uh, uh, what's the uh, Australian driver's name? Um, 
I can't think of his name now all of a sudden. Um, the, the, the guy that smiles all the time. What a great guy. Um, he left. Oh, yeah. Um, I know the chap. Did he leave um, Red Bull for another team, I think? Can't remember. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so I don't know. I'm still new, and I am, uh, but I'm excited about the upcoming 2019 Formula One series. Um, so now setting the tone, Dana, you're the one that talked about that. Managing so. expectations, managing what people really think about you, think about the operation, how things are going to go. You've got some people out there that want to be, uh, you know, that don't really um, communicate well with others, you know, whether it be the ramp controller or the ramp rampers or the gate agents or the flight attendants or the passengers. So, um, by managing the expectations, including how you interact and, and talk with your your fellow crew member in the in the flight deck as well. Um, so if you get on the airplane and you set that tone early that you're somebody that you can communicate with, approach um, that you know not to be afraid to speak up and let me know what you're thinking, when you're thinking it, how you're thinking it, because you know. One of the things I say, and I say it in a joking way, but I'm actually serious about it, and that is is that um, what what I would like to do is never be on the media. I don't want to be a Captain Sully. I don't want to go talk to the FAA. I don't want to talk to the chief pilot's office. I don't want to fill out paperwork. Well, I say it jokingly in, in a way that, that really kind of sets tone. But whatever we do up here, you know, it's between two pilots and we're going to work through it and we're going to we're going to you know make sure we have a safe operation and i'm not going to sit here and be a negative nelly um, you know we're going to enjoy flying together and and, and try to be uh, you know set that positive tone that's when i said say tone you, you hear me say positive tone and that's the same thing with my flight tents in the back hey listen i'm here for you guys uh, you know, let me know what you need. If there's whatever we can do, and you know, of course, you know, flight attendants, I'm finding it are a little more tricky sometimes to deal with because they get on, they want this, they want that. This is broken. This doesn't work. Uh, you know, and sometimes you just have to be a little more diplomatic with them. But as long as they know that you're on their side, and if you have any passenger service issues, I'm watching out for you as far as turbulence. If I haven't called, you know, one part of my briefing is I actually say. If it gets real turbulent, I haven't called you because I didn't know about it yet. Know about it, so please don't call up and yell at me, you know, because I'm I'm kind of throwing a joke out there out there at it, uh, and and they and they and they really see that I'm 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 being serious about it in in a joking way that you know part of the briefing is you know I'm going to try to call you and try to give you a heads up and your safety is my primary concern up here, so <clears throat> that's what I mean by tone by being a, a good proactive leader. And showing that I, I care about the individual person, I care about the the operation, and that I want to be a the, the positive guy in the flight deck that is is embracing everybody's uh, individuality, what they bring to the crew, and, and and hopefully, and ultimately, what I say to each one of my crew members is our job is to support the customers in the back because that's why we're here, right. And this is one of the best jobs in the world, in my opinion. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be having a good time unless there's some kind of a exactly you know weather or mechanical issue that's causing us you know stress. But let's let's make this a fun experience and uh, be open to uh, communication for the entire crew that we're a team that we're going to do this together and we're going to have fun doing it if we can. 
And uh, also, I, I like to say it's not, you know, we don't, it's not a mistake until both of us make it. So there's a reason that we're flying not by ourselves, but with other people. And, you know, if, if I'm doing something that is not right, please let me know because I don't like the paperwork. That's right. As Craig, first officer Craig in the chat room says, no drama, no paperwork equal great trip plus great crew equal fantastic trip. So true. Dan, and I say, I'm going to enjoy myself because I've only got 115 days uh, left. <laughs> well, I only have 1,782 days. 10,000. 6,000. <laughs> 6,042 days. Don't remind me. <laughs> so let's keep the great question. Thank you, Gustav. And uh, thank you so much for your kind words regarding our show. And you know what? We feel the same way about you. And everyone else out there that is listening to our show. I mean, you, we may mean a lot to you, but you all mean even more to us. And Gustav asked one other thing there, Jeff, that I wanted to address. Yeah. And that's how do you, how do you deal with somebody that's just not, you know, you're not getting the buy-in. Um, and that is, is, is. Draw them off the trip. Draw them off no, the trip. No, I mean, the reality <laughs> is, is if, if you, if you approach everything properly in, in, in the way that I know that you like to approach it and, and, you know, from, flying with a lot of captains like yourself and you know i'm also a former manager customer service manager i've been around a long time so what i found is the, the best way that you can uh, promote good employees is by treating them uh well even if you don't necessarily get along with them and or if you think they have a bad attitude all you, you choose to do is is focus on the positive things focus on the good things and if you do that then a lot of times you break them out of that negativity yeah. and sometimes you just can't do that and you're not going to be able to to convince them otherwise but you know you're only working with them for three or four days or two days or whatever it is as long as you work together is you know two people as you just said in the flight deck as long as you don't make a mistake it, it's not a mistake at all I've really tools. found that if if somebody is negative and they start, you know, you know, complaining about things and I don't play and they pick up on that right away and they go, okay, this guy's not going to be a downer, Debbie Downer. And it just makes all the difference in the world that, that you know, if, as long as you don't play along with their negative feelings about everything, that seems to work out for me anyway. Yeah, it doesn't propagate it. Correct. Yeah. Um, quickly, I think we're close to the end of the show here getting close to the three hour point. Um, Chuck writes in, he said, hi, it's Chuck, the glider pilot from West Virginia. You all, you all have inspired me to do a podcast about soaring. You can find it on iTunes and most podcast apps. I'm still very new at this. So hopefully the show will improve with each episode. Keep up the great work on the airline pilot guy show. To see you all this year at Oshkosh. And then he sent a link to his show on iTunes. I have a little snippet of the uh, intro to his show. So let me play that. Hi, I'm Chuck, and welcome to Soaring the Sky. Whether you're a pilot or an aviation enthusiast, or you're just curious about aviation and sailplanes, Thanks for joining us today. Coming up today, I do have a special guest. There you go. A little bit of that sounds great. intro. Yeah. Okay, great. Very nice. Uh, so check out Chuck Fulton's 
Soaring the Sky, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes because we're all about promoting everyone out there that is putting on oh, a podcast. Absolutely, Jeff. But I, I'm a bit confused. I, I've I've sawn logs and I've sawn down a tree. I've never sawn the sky. <laughs> uh, what's that about then? <laughs> S O A R, sower. Am I mispronouncing? You have a hard time, hard time hearing R. Sower. Sorry. He's sour. He's sour. Glider pilot. Well, I'm I'm going to start listening to that because when I retire, I might well take up gliding again. Something I haven't done since I was like 18 years old. So that could be a good podcast for me. Yeah. I can just see it now. Nick is going to start a new podcast. He's going to leave us. He's going to yeah. join the new jump, jump ship. He's, he's going to go to the soaring part. Soaring the sky. Soaring. Yeah. Poor kids. Nah, no, I don't think so. No, I, I'm not going to go if you kick me out. No, we're not going to kick well, you that out. That might happen too. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's HR right there. Uh, I have nothing to do with that. Sharp as a tank. Beyond, that sorry. Beyond my control. <laughs> hey, Jeff, give you my official yes. notice. 365 will be my last one. So see you. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Really, really <laughs> well, mm-hmm. why? Wow, everyone's wow. this has suddenly become a very want to do that while we're actually recording a show, Dana. Wow, okay, <laughs> all right, love it's you, official man. Now, love then. you, yeah. <laughs> okay, with that, uh, you know, we have some more great pieces of feedback in our feedback folder, but not good enough for doing it on the show <laughs> today. Oh, wow. uh, we've run out no, of time, so good, in fact, that you'll be first the next time. Around. That's right. So, we have Tillman, our great friend in berlin uh the one that provides oh, us with the uh, mm-hmm. bottomless uh tankards of mm-hmm. uh, beer which i have not which i have used i have so not have I. I have no not steps. i know well you've missed out dana and i have not great yet beer. we'll have to dana and i will have to make a trip to berlin and take advantage of that um we have uh david with some feedback jj pittsburgh which is not his real name uh raymond has a question about winglets and uh a great letter and I was hoping to do that on this show, Nick, but uh, we'll have to move it to the next one. A flight attendant's open letter to a rude passenger goes viral. Oh, that's a great letter, that one. Yeah. So we're going to have all that and more. Your feedback, if you want to send it to us, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Use the app. There's a great uh, way to send us feedback that way as well. And on the website, airlinepilotguy.com, you can use the speech, uh, the speak pipe feature. And uh, let's see, what what else I was going to say? I just remembered something regarding our app. Oh, I have submitted a new version of both Android and iOS apps. I think the Android version is actually available out there if you are one of those Android users for the new version of the Airline Pilot Guy app. And not sure what's going on with the iOS thing, but uh, hopefully that will be out soon as well. And... Uh, let's see. We are also on social media. You really need to follow us on social media so you mm. can figure out what we're doing. Please do. You can head over to twitter.com and follow us using the handle at APG Crew. We're all there. If you want to interact with one of us individually, our individual Twitter information is pinned to the top of that page. And you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Lots of good community interaction there. Lots of articles being shared, some information about meetups, um, pretty much anything you can think of. So definitely join us. We look forward to seeing you. And Hillel manages our APG Slack team. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. 
Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, one one Echo 1, and see you in Slack. And major kudos to our producer, assistant, and just all-around great woman. Our favorite Canadian. Our favorite Canadian. And she's already doing work. I can see some of the things changing already on Evernote, (laughs) the things that we're not (laughs) covering on today's show. She's already moving to the next folder for the next show, so she's awesome. Thank you, Liz, for all that. And thank you all for listening to the show for reviewing the show on iTunes and downloading it and listening to it and just being part of our awesome APG community. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. So long. Good day.